Superpowers, solar flares, and space hotties. Welcome to another episode of Marvel vs. Marvel. It's the podcast where someone who has never read a Marvel comic book before in their life rewatches a Marvel movie or TV show and then quizzes someone who is a veritable Marvel expert, someone that was taught to read with Marvel comics together. We compare and contrast what's on the screen to what was there originally in the comic books, and we we unearth and dig through all the wonderful Marvel history, Marvel characters, and trivia that dates back to the 1960s. We're so excited to be back from our, our little holiday break. My name is Rob Holden. I am a comedian, I'm a writer, and I'm the Marvel expert half of the equation and I'm joined as ever on our return show by the man who is powered by ignorance. He's had a little holiday, but he's no less ignorant. It's comedian Will Preston. Who goes on a holiday and comes back more insightful? Oh, yeah, people going to Asia. <laughs> people who read and who take in culture. Did you take in any culture on your holiday, Will? Nine. Uh, I don't know what German is for. I didn't take in any culture. Uh, I just went to Germany. I went to see family. I ate uh, various German cuisine, which is fantastic, mm. by the way. Uh, it was a nice thing, everybody. There's a lot of chocolate, cake, and meat involved. I mean, you can't beat that. You, you just can't. can't beat that. That's that is that is that is the definition of. I mean, it it it, it begs the question: Why they all got so angry uh, for several years? But there we go. Um, well, they calmed down just... a lot. They calmed down a lot. <laughs> I just would have been too bloated to conquer uh, half of Europe. <laughs> I just would have been lying on my side on a sofa, rubbing my belly throughout the entire 30s and 40s, going, oh, sauerkraut. Um, <laughs> you, you you had a trip to, to Germany, and you got cats. Yeah, we've got two cats now, uh, one called Garrus and one called Data. I'll let you guess which sci-fi franchises they're from. They're from two separate Ga- ones. Garrus. Yeah, from the Mass Effect series. I'm a big fan of Mass Effect. There we go. Yeah. There we go. And you know Data, obviously. Um, From Stargate. No, Star... Sequest DSV. Bloody hell, I know what you're doing now. (laughs) Which one is it? Oh, 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 the robot dude. The robot dude, yeah, the android. The android, yeah, from Star Trek, the next generation. Although I I, I haven't watched it. Both your picks. Sorry? Are oh. they both your picks? No, no, I picked Garrus, uh, although the wife was happy with that because she likes Mass Effect as well, and she picked Data because she's a bit of a Star Trek nerd. Why didn't she call the cat after Data's cat? That would have been a much better she, name. She did keep making references to that. What was it, Spot? Yeah. Spot. She, she, yeah, she kept showing like me that. pictures and saying, he's so cute. Look how he is with yeah. the cat. <laughs> He writes poems about his cat for some reason. (laughs) Honestly, Star Trek, once Gene Roddenberry dies, Star Trek gets really weird. (laughs) It's a lot of fun. It's on my to-watch list and I can't wait to go through it all. We're back from our holidays. We're really excited mm. to be with you. Um, we, we we loved the fact that you guys loved our little unscripted episode that kept you uh, ticking along while we were away. But this, ladies and gentlemen, is perhaps the most requested episode slash storyline that we've had you know right since we started this people have been saying when are you going to do it when are you going to do it it's here it's now it's happening marvel versus marvel is tackling the phoenix saga coming up we go behind the page on the creation of one of the most iconic 
Marvel stories of all time. Mm. We go behind the scenes on the production of a cartoon that influenced a generation of Marvel fans. We've got the origin of the Phoenix. We've got Xavier versus his students, the death of major characters, and the secrets behind the creation of the X-Men themselves. Don't you go anywhere. That's all to come on this episode. We're really excited to bring you. We knew we were going to cover the Phoenix saga. It was just a question of which interpretation to do. Do you do one of the terrible movies? (laughs) We decided, no, let's go back to the very first people to adapt this story, to adapt any of the X-Men stories. Let's go back to the classic 1990s Marvel animated series of X-Men. And uh, they were so brave to to take this sprawling sprawling cartoon series uh, sprawling comic book story and and convert it for the first time and not just do a two-parter but to do so much of it and mm. to really nearly adapt it wholesale from the comic books an incredible story will i know your chocker block with production notes um, <laughs> absolutely we, we we invested in a, an incredible book which has just got so many so much trivia from from the TV world that Will can bring to bear, and then you know your boy uh, Big Daddy H has got some of that comic book trivia goodness for you. Uh, it's all coming your way. We're really excited about this one. What a way to come back from holiday! I mean, I'm jazzed. I'm reinvigorated from having a break. I don't know about you, Will, but it was always. It's always really cool to... uh, We love making these shows, making these episodes, but sometimes you do several months of it, it can feel like a little bit of a grind. Mm. It's nice to take that break every every three months or so and have some time out. Um, Speaking of being jazzed and excited and returning to things, Willie P, you are treading them boards once more. Uh, yeah, I, I'm apparently a skateboarder now. No, <laughs> I know what you mean. I the am stage. I am back on stage. I know this whole podcast was done because none of us could go on stage. And now absolutely coming back on stage. We now have to end the podcast. No, no, no. We're keeping the podcast going, obviously. Uh, just to let you know. Uh, but you're the- returning to stand up. Yeah, that's what we want to know. Where can, where, if you want to see Will Preston, Comedian extraordinaire in person. See him live, not just listen to his voice. Hear his ignorance in person. Where can we see you out and about and around, Will? Where are you going to be in the coming weeks and months? Okay, the next couple of weeks I'll be doing stand-up mainly in London. On the first, on the Wednesday, the 1st of September, I'll be doing Comedy Through a Looking Glass at 49 Hackney Road. I don't know what the venue is. Uh, they've just told me the address. <laughs> I'll be doing Resistance Comedy uh, at Millfield Theatre N1, N18, I think it's Enfield or one of those ones. Anyway, that's on Friday the 3rd uh, at Millfield Theatre. Uh, and on Sunday the tenth, sorry, so Sunday the fifth, I'll be doing a whole lot of comedy at the Castle in Surbiton. And the week after, Monday the sixth, doing a little bit of new material, nice and spiky, at the Regent in Islington. Uh, on Wednesday the eighth, I'm emceeing at Alice House in West Hempstead. Uh, that should be a fun night. Uh, and I've got managed to pick myself up uh, a nice crouching gig on Friday the tenth. I'll be doing probably doing with some other some some pro comedians. Uh, details have come got to come through about that. But St Mary's Tower in Crouch End. So those are my gigs. Rewind if you want to catch any of those. They're all in London. So if you're outside of London, 
or you won't really see me yet, but I will be doing outside London. Yeah, make a trip. Make the trip. Make the special trip to come and see Will Preston on stage. Um, So many dates. He's all over the place. Of course, you can always head over to his Twitter to find out those dates and those venues and locations. And your Twitter is at... Will Preston. uh, Will Preston 87? No, literally just Will Preston. Will Preston 87's my uh, Instagram handle. Oh, there we go. Saucy. Mm. A A lot of... uh, a lot of uh, great fire, I think they call it, the kids call it, a lot of fire on the Insta. But if you want to find out those gig dates, head over to Will Preston on Twitter and don't miss your chance to hear his ignorance in person. Before we go any further in this episode, before we crack open the uh, the Phoenix saga and start uh, digging around at the gooey goodness inside... <laughs> Eggs. I'm thinking eggs because of Phoenix and hatching. Um, Will, we want to go into the mind of a muggle. I I know that you saw some of the X-Men series as a kid. Mm. Um, Obviously, there were loads of the the, the cartoons were everywhere. There was the the McDonald's uh, tie-in toy. They had a Pizza Express tie-in, the toys and the video games. Did you have any awareness of the Phoenix back in like the nineteen, let's say nineteen nineties, when you were a kid? Not the nineteen nineties. No, I mean I didn't see that many episodes of the X Men, and if I did, I don't remember this episode as a kid. So, did you hear of Phoenix at all? And you know, before um, I guess X Men Three, the last stand, oh. the last nerve, on my last nerve, X Men Three, the last thing I will ever look at. <sighs> Had you had you heard of any of that before? In any Phoenix stuff? No, or? I only heard about it after seeing that film, and then I got the video game, that scrolling beat 'em up Galaxy Men Legends game, and then one of her powers was basically the Phoenix, her superpower. Get very, uh, she set fire to things. She just turned into a fireball, and everything died. It's classic scrolling beat 'em up power move. Hey, instead of punching them every now and again, press the A button. Everything sets a light on fire, and you don't have to punch it, punch it, thus saving you some precious time. Well, some people might have encountered the Phoenix in, in various different ways over the years. I certainly remember there was this big push in um, bookshops when they were pushing um, trade paperback and hardback collections as graphic novels. Hooray. Don't worry, you're not reading a comic book because that's for children. It's a graphic novel. Um, I, I know they had these displays, certainly around the time of the Batman movie, they were they pushed Arkham Asylum um, really, really hard. <laughs> um, and and uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, why were, why were we laughing? <laughs> oh, no, I, I just like Arkham Asylum. Sometimes I giggle at things when I think about things I like. <laughs> uh, my brother this is on, on a little tangent we went as a family for, for my, my mum's birthday we went to see Jurassic World in the cinema and my brother got really annoyed because every time they made a slight reference to the first film I'd go <laughs> I'd giggle to myself and it's like I like well, stuff Great. me and your brother honestly I've been I, I, I've been trying to pen it down for over a year now because yeah. we will be talking about something very serious and you'll just go <laughs> mm. and, I, and sometimes I challenge you and I go what what's funny about what I just said a character died and you're like oh no I was just thinking about Simpsons but now <laughs> I know the reason behind it after over a year I I, I, I don't know I feel like 
I feel like a plot thread has been <laughs> has been you know satisfyingly concluded. I'm I'm very pleased to finally have this information. Six hundred. So when you recognise something, yeah. you just giggle. Yeah, it's like a, you complete well, a little side okay. quest there. Find out why so, what makes Will tick. The, the Phoenix Saga is highly, highly celebrated. We're going to get to yeah. all the reasons why. Um, I know we've got a lot of, of, of uh, listeners who've written in about their experience of, of the Phoenix as a story and the, and the cartoon series and stuff. Yeah. Um, but, Will, this is just so rich with production notes because we've got that amazing, amazing book, um, which is... Uh, uh, which you, 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 uh, Eric, oh God, Eric Leewald, I think, and you've got some, some stuff about that. So, so let's just dig in then. Let's just dig in to this, uh, production notes that you've got for us. Well, we've got some quite interesting stuff from the, uh, from the book, from the book you, you, you purchased for the podcast. Uh, let's, let's, let's get into an interesting fact about the lady herself at the center of this, Jean Grey. She's played by Catherine Disher. Now, we don't, really know who she is but we do have some interesting trivia about her uh, she was married to the actor who played professor x cedric smith and amongst her awesome tv acting credentials are two of the most awesome tv shows you could imagine what do we got what do we got i'm still i've been looking at these for 10 minutes now and i'm like trying to wrap my head around it first one is tnt the tv show that mr t did after the a team where he plays a streetwise tough guy framed from a crime that he didn't commit working as a private investigator for a law firm i'm sorry is that mr t's go-to thing he's a he's in tv shows where he's framed for a crime that he didn't commit (laughs) <laughs> he's on the run how can you oh, how can you be a private investigator if you're on the run from the police oh wait, no I, um i from from what i from what i think i remember he was framed and then this lawyer like gets it all to go away she's like a crusading lawyer and she goes he was wrongfully convicted so he gets out and then he wa- works for her i can't imagine and mr t being a private detective Catherine disher can you, can you can you imagine Mr. T being a being a pro, any kind of detective? He'd be roughing him up. Yeah, I think it was that kind of. It, well, you're just yeah. going to have a streetwise. You know what can we do with him? He has to play a streetwise tough guy. Yeah, I, I mean, I like Mr. T. I think he's great, but I, I don't know. I, it just that just made me giggle. The other one, Forever Night, and I think I've heard of this one. This rings a bell. Yeah, I had. Yeah, it's a Canadian television series about Nick Knight, an 800-year-old <laughs> vampire working as a police detective in modern-day Toronto, Ontario. Racked with guilt for centuries of killing others, he seeks redemption by working as a homicide detective on the night shift. Oh, my and- God. Just imagine if they booked his interview during the day. <laughs> what the hell? Can you can you believe this predates Angel? Ah, oh, this yes, is this feels yeah. so much like that this the spin-off Angel TV series. Um uh, and but you know, hey, if it happened in Canada, you don't have to it's not ripping it off because it didn't really happen, I guess. <laughs> um wow. fantastic. I mean, I mean she's really been a part of some uh, incredible stuff. Yeah, we've also got um an interesting article that was written by the Sci-Fi Channel, the influential Sci-Fi Channel. Do you remember back in the day, the the, the Sci-Fi Channel? Oh. When they spelled it properly. Yeah, now they've changed. They, they got branding. Siffy. 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 
I'm not watching Siffy. No, Siffy's a kitchen appliance with good marketing, isn't it? Oh, oh, the Sci-Fi Channel just had uh, something. I used mm. to, I used to get together with a bunch of friends uh, once a week, and we'd get together and watch some ridiculous shows on the Sci-Fi Channel. And you're always guaranteed some gloriously awful movies, like you know Sharknado and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah. Um, just terrific stuff. <laughs> it was also the only way on cable that I could watch anime movies. So uh, yeah, absolutely. As, I mean, it replaced Bravo. Yeah, for the time. as as a young outcast at school who loved geek culture, that was my only door into anime. But yes, anyway, they wrote an they actually wrote an article about the animated Phoenix Saga, saying the episodes constantly dropped hints and echoes of sprawling, convoluted storylines. This would seem an odd choice for a show aimed at young children, but it worked famously well. The cartoon was a massive hit, and more than more than perhaps anything else was the conduit that served to eventually introduce them to the big screen in 2000. Still, some characters fared better than others. The Wolverine of the animated series was great, while the Cyclops is notoriously strict and dull. Meanwhile, the Jean Grey of the animated series is, by most fan accounts, the least compelling character on the show, often criticised for her uselessness in fight scenes, poor costume design, and barely defined entirely in the context of the romantic trial among herself, Wolverine and Cyclops, in which she displays almost zero autonomy. Jean got a pretty raw deal in what would turn out to be one of the most definitive versions of the X-Men. On the other hand, the animated series' version of two of her most epic storylines, The Phoenix and The Dark Phoenix Sagas, hold up really well. In fact, the cartoon does some things even better than the comics. Not only mm. yeah, <laughs> not only were these episodes the highlight for Jean Grey, but they were also the highlight of the show. Now, I take it you disagree with that. Uh, oh, I, I, I'm sure there's some things they do a bit better. I'm, I'm sure. I mean, but I think some, sometimes... <laughs> Sometimes when uh, people write about this stuff and they talk about it doing things better, mm-hmm. what they mean is they do it perhaps like quicker or more efficiently, or um, and I don't always think that means it's better. <laughs> like I don't know. Um, I think TV people can't wrap their heads sometimes around monthly serialized comic book stories, and so they go, "No, it's better that they did." all of those things in 20 minutes <laughs> it's it was quicker now they do get rid of the leprechauns from this story there were leprechauns right there were leprechauns we're gonna, we're gonna get to it folks this is our first ever two-parter oh yes it this is. is our yeah. first ever two-parter the leprechauns are in the next part <laughs> we are gonna get to it can't wait for that i can't wait i can't wait Oh, what else God. have you got for us, Will? Well, we got some really incredible production notes on these episodes. Some of these are literally the production notes used by the people making the X-Men cartoon. Uh, they're all taken from the amazing book that you purchased uh, previously on X-Men, written by Eric Leewald, who was the story editor and head writer for the X-Men series. So, in the books, the story starts with a three-and-a-half-page sequence of a recurring hellish space battle nightmare that is haunting Charles Xavier. Then, 15 pages of seemingly unrelated fighting. The next issue, a couple of other challenges are raised, solar radiation, space-based villains, and Xavier's haunting visions are touched in one panel only. Then, in following issues, the X-Men are lured into space, no Xavier nightmare, but Jean is set up to sacrifice herself to save the others to become Phoenix. Phoenix. 
That means the comics uh, writer took four of the 12 books to gradually build up anticipation and get to the first big moment of what for us would be the core story, Jean's heroic decision to be the first big cliffhanger. We ended up focusing on the three characters at the centre of the book's ongoing story, uh, Xavier, the mysterious alien calling to him, Lilandra, and Jean, and trimmed away secondary conflicts that served usefully, usefully in the books to provide month-to-month variety and colourful action. This month's Cyclops fights his brother. Right. Here we go. Yeah, there we go. That, that's kind <laughs> of your, the proving first, your point, this, isn't it? That's proving your point. This is the yeah. first example of them go. Of that, like that was the story, man. The, the, it's not. It's not like oh, and then they've they've just got to fill it with some fighting for no reason. Every issue is telling a story, bro. I understand. Hmm. Uh, he, okay. And there's so much more. There's so many cool things in this in these notes. I could see why they took that out. Absolutely. Here's the thing. The big benefit the cartoon series has is that they have the benefit of looking at the series of this of the Phoenix saga as a whole. Yeah. And having a direction and being able to plan out this in in a big picture way. That's not really how the X-Men comics were written at the time. They, they did not create the Phoenix with this story in mind. They just created this new character of the Felix and went about with their business of writing and creating month by month stories. So when you when you when you have the benefit of twenty years removed or ten years, fifteen years removed, and you can go, Oh, this is actually a story that starts here, has its middle here, and ends here, you can kind of do this thing of we don't need we don't need space sentinels. <laughs> we don't need this and that and the other. Space um, sentinels, Christ. Yeah, we it's yeah, lots of fun to come. But, Ooh, but, but yes, lovely, lovely. It, it 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 is just this weird thing of them going. Oh, but none of those stories they're telling have anything to do with the Phoenix. It's like yeah, because <laughs> it because it I mean because it isn't all about the Phoenix. But yeah, please carry on. Oh sure. So this five part feature length, uh, one hundred and ten minute story was the most ambitious project we had attempted to date. Mark and Michael had recently freed themselves of other commitments, and I got Fox to agree to let them to do the entire saga. Just like old times in college in Tennessee, the three of us worked the story out together. I don't think we, or X-Men the Animated Series, ever did better. So I've got some, some notes on here as well, if you're, if you're okay for me to go through. Yeah, the, 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 these um, are these the notes from the... Be the first big meeting they had. Yeah. So apologies if I if I don't exactly read them uh, at all compellingly because <laughs> these are literally notes I'm reading out. It's so interesting though. This is like this is like they're being told what to pay attention to, mm. what not to pay attention to, and who to focus on. It's 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 some really some really cool stuff. Really cool trivia. Okay. So we've got story notes on Phoenix Five Parter Comics and the NYC meeting. Don't bother with if it issues ninety five. Sorry, ninety four and ninety five. You can use Banshee or not, as you prefer. Might be easy not to, since so many others are introduced. That's true. Yeah, it's, it's a lot going on. We'd like to use Nightcrawler, but not here if you don't want to. I'm sure he's he, he needs a bit. He made a major introduction. Uh, dump the grave demons. <laughs> okay. Uh, Havoc and Lorna Dane can be dropped. They want to try to keep voices per episode down. Right. The new X-Men versus old X-Men doesn't work, but some sort of robot impersonators slashable might. Uh, slashable. Remember like that, that Wolverine Wolverine 
Like, no one's allowed to punch anyone in this series, and Wolverine o- seems to only use his claws to open doors. Yeah. So any, <laughs> any yeah. kind of robot is good. So yeah, yeah. This is fine to punch a robot that looks like a human. What's 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 what's, what's harmful? <laughs> so what's harmful about that for a young mind? Uh, Masterworks uh, number twelve, comics uh, one hundred and one to one hundred and ten. We can play up Jean's heroism, then Scott's grieving, perhaps delay her resurrection, stretch her near death. Amazing. And we got background on the Phoenix Five parter. First, Sydney didn't know what he wants yet. The good news is that we can make most of the creative decisions ourselves. The bad is that he may learn what he wants along the way, requiring a change of direction. This is management. This is every time I've ever worked in any company. Right, the great thing about this, guys, is that the boss doesn't know what he wants yet. So, (laughs) we can, you know, make it really, really good. The bad the bad news is, at some point, he's going to pay attention. <laughs> yeah, that's, and then we might have to change everything. That is so bad. That is so it's brilliant. Bad. <laughs> all, he has, all he has said is that the miniseries will set up a lot of the material to follow in the remaining 12, uh, 32 episodes, by which he means, I suppose, introduce a lot of new characters, locations, and conflicts that we will use again. The major decision is... Can we find enough material in the comics, uh, 96 to 109, to make a five-part story? As it stands, there are too many armies of characters rushing every which way and almost no human story concerning either the X-Men or the new antagonists. I assume That's yeah. insane. Yeah. <laughs> to read... to I, I've reread all of these. Uh, uh, to say there's no human interest in this is, is again... It, it, it smacks a little bit of a... And Eric Lewald has obviously done amazing things for the X-Men. It smacks a little bit of TV people who, who are slightly, slightly maybe looking on the nose at comics. But yeah, it's it's like, oh, there's what, what, what's all these people coming out? It's like, that's what comics do. It's a serialised story. You're allowed to throw things at it randomly. Yeah. I assu- okay, reading back on this, uh, I assume we will par down the characters or pare down the characters a bit and find a focus. If not, we may want to cram in elements of the Dark Phoenix saga, which ends with the death of the Phoenix character. If we save the Dark Phoenix stuff for later, I guess we will either lose Jean for many intervening episodes or use her as Phoenix. Look it over. My instinct is to save the Dark Phoenix stuff for the last five episodes of the 65, ending with a wedding that works. We have been allowed to do it now. It's going to be in the books. Cyclops would seem a natural POV choice since all of this Phoenix stuff is happening to his fiancée. The second major story involves Xavier falling for Shi'ar Princess Leandra. So they just, at this time, they'd just been renewed mm. for, um, this is this is in the middle of, of production, this is the end of season two, they're, mm. they're now uh, starting to do season three, yeah. and in the middle of, as they're planning it all out, they get renewed for a further 65 episodes, which is the full run. Yeah. Um, so there's now all this stuff of keeping it fresh, we've got the space to breathe, we could put the Dark Phoenix saga way back if we wanted to. We could do it in season four if we wanted to, or we could do it at the very end of this season. Mm. And there was this idea that they would do the Dark Phoenix saga at the very end of season three, kill off loads of characters, and basically have a brand new X-Men team. Yeah. Um, That never happened. That's a shame. That's a real shame. That could have made things a bit interesting. The Uh, problem with it is, um, is that they would have had to spend money recreating the title sequence, and the higher-ups said no. 
So you can't get rid of any of the team members and you yeah. can't introduce yeah. new regular ones because then we have to remake the title sequence. I would have just kept the title sequence the same and just if anyone complains, just shrug, go, look, it's the X-Men, there's some X-Men there. X-Men, they're like, mate, they're like celebrations <laughs> or miniature heroes. You're not going to find your favourite one in there all the time, mate. Look, it's like a big... Box the of rotating, rotating, yeah. rotating roster. I mean, I, I did watch. I've said this before. I did actually watch out because of Disney Plus is fantastic. By the way, uh, I I did watch the entire run on there, uh, and I have to say, it does peter out towards the end. Uh, X Men, the whole series, they, it does peter out. The last season, I think season five, yeah, they had their budget slashed horribly, and yeah. they had different actors, they had different animation studio, the writers. I mean. All the writers from the first season were let go Ooh. after the first season. And then they wanted them all back, but those guys had gone off and got other jobs. So when it got renewed, only three of them came back. And that's kind of the three that Lou Wald's talking about him to him and him and two of his close friends. Mm. Those are the guys that came back. Um, I think there's a team that worked on lots of stuff together, like Beetlejuice and some other cartoons of the of the late eighties, early nineties. God, um, do you remember when Yeah, there was a Oh, so I was about to say, do you remember when like they would just turn any film into a cartoon series? Mm, yeah. <laughs> they, they, they turned Robocop and Rambo into cartoon series. Yeah, that's my Saturday morning childhood, that, baby. That's yeah. crazy. Ro- yeah, Ro- I had I had Terminator action figures. Yeah, um, I remember those. I remember <laughs> yeah, those. And alien was, action figures. Yeah, alien and Terminator action figures. And I was playing with them when I was like five years too young to see the movie or whatever. That's mental, isn't it? That's crazy. I remember that. Saturdays used to be great, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, the night. Uh, sorry, sorry. Two. The 80s and the early 90s. Oh, what a time. What a time. Oh, my God. Anyway, anyway, I'll get back to this. I'll get back to this. So, so more stuff from the book before we uh, get on to get on to other sections of the podcast. So, we got uh, more stuff from the book. So, the Irish Castle slash Juggernaut slash Black Tom stuff needs to be dropped or made much better slash integral to Phoenix's problems. Marvel wants to showcase Corsair and the Star Jammers. He is Cyclops' renegade father, but Cyclops doesn't know it. Perhaps we could expand this section, allow Cyclops to confront his father, who abandoned him. All the space fighting is fine. Imperial Guards, Guardians of the Crystal, etc. As long as we tie them in the even better with Leandra and Phoenix. It would be good to let things get bad enough for Phoenix to go bird-like in her solar system melting form. It would be good to build the Leandra Xavier romance so that when they must part, Leandra to lead her people, Xavier to lead his, that the drama is high. Perhaps Phoenix should drift off into space or be lost in some other way as a result of her fighting the good fight so Scott can mourn her at the end. So have a look at issues 96 to 109, extract what you can, decide what you want to do, call me and we'll get a short five-part premise to those who must be obeyed. I mean... It is so... I'm not sure what I was expecting from this book previously on X-Men, but to literally have memos and work documents that were sent from... This guy is the story editor and the head writer, you know, about how they are going to adapt this story. Literally, look at this... Look at these, these, these issues. Ditch that. Adapt this. We need to make that stronger. Incredible stuff um, to, to, to go really behind the scenes... Um, and in part two, we're gonna. I mean, Will, Will's got some more broader stuff for us to look at. I mean, it's stuff that would have been cool for us to have had when we did um, 
the first, you know, we had our very first um, episode covering the X Men animated series, but this book wasn't available at the time, and now we've got it. I think um, Will can come into his own with some really cool behind the scenes X Men uh, in part two, but we've got so much more to cram into this episode. Let's take a step behind the page now after Will has so ably taken us through some amazing production notes on this series. Let's take a look at, I guess, what the Phoenix story, the Phoenix saga means for the X-Men and where we are with the X-Men. Uh, and Because it, 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 it is the most important time in the history of the X-Men. Yeah. Since their creation. The, the, the original X-Men... Um, Professor X uh, teaching five teenagers, Cyclops, Beast, Marvel Girl, Angel, and, and Iceman. And it's the 1960s that they battle evil mutants um, who have lots... Uh, and they, But they also have lots of, of kind of um, classic pre-war superhero issues. They have secret identities... Um, like Superman does, and, mm. and and like Stan was trying to do with um, Thor um, in in the early days of Thor. You know that didn't work. Like <laughs> Thor was basically like like a really weird version of Superman, and it didn't work. And then they ditched all that, yeah. and they went, "Oh, let's focus on the Asgardian stuff." Yeah. Well, the X Men had that. Like Angel used like straps to bind his wings to his back if he wants to go out in public and and and, and be accepted. The Beast. Um, isn't covered in 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 blue fur at the time, but he has quite simian features. He has mm. abnormally large hands and feet, and he he has to wear gloves and boots and c- cover himself up all the time. And you know, Cyclops with his glasses and stuff rather than his visor. They work hard at maintaining these sort of secret identities as normal um, teenagers, and they, I think a lot of the time they even hide it from their parents as well. Some some and some do, some don't. Um, and then Stan and Jack have the classic tortured love triangle they love to do. You know, classic romance Stanley. Yeah. Um, Cyclops, Marvel Girl, and Angel. Um, Angel is is this gorgeous, blue-haired, rich dude from a really rich, well-off family. And his powers are that he's got um, these gorgeous wings and stuff. Um, and so he he's this incredible like mutant, whereas... Um, Cyclops like feels like this tortured wreck. But of all the classic Marvel comics of the sixties, the X Men is one that like just doesn't connect and doesn't sell. Sales are terrible. Marvel cancels the book. Um, the X Men aren't like forgotten about particularly. They as characters they graduate from Xavier's school and then they kind of like bob around doing other little stuff like Angel and Iceman. They join the champions. Um, the Beast goes off and eventually joins the Avengers. Um, so the characters aren't kind of like gotten rid of completely, but the X-Men as a comic book is done because it doesn't make any money. And then in, in 1975, uh, Marvel uh, ha- has Len Wein and Dave Cockrum relaunch the series, and they have a specific mandate, international heroes. Marvel has got new owners. They are establishing relationships with like the UK and with India. And, and they really want to make sure that they've kind of got this international flavor to a lot of their characters. And so 
that's what they they come up with this brand new cast. The the original X Men are kind of gone, and Ween and, and Cochrane come up with this this new cast of 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 X Men to replace the old ones. We get Wolverine, um, and we get Storm, Nightcrawler, Colossus, Thunderbird, and Sunfire joining joining Cyclops. So we get Canadian, Russian, Kenyan, Japanese, German, Native American, Irish. Um, and they all kind of, you know, in classic Marvel fashion, fight with each other <laughs> as much as they do w- with the enemy. And almost as soon as the X-Men, new X-Men arrive, writing duties are handed to a guy called Chris Clement. Mm. And this is the most important, you know, moment in, in the history of the X-Men. Clement would write the comic, who would write X-Men for 16 years. And and he he establishes and creates this along with Dave Cockrum and John Burney creates this golden age. Um, he is the he's the writer that creates Rogue and Gambit, uh, Mystique, Jubilee, Sabretooth, Mister Sinister. Like it just goes on and on and on. He becomes really the father of the X Men. Um, Nineteen seventy five. Um, Len Wein, who is not only did a relaunch the X Men, but he's editor in chief of Marvel at the time. He recognizes Chris Claremont, who's like 25 years old. He recognizes that he's got this real enthusiasm for the new X-Men. Um, and he hires him at 25 to take over the series. Now, you couldn't Len Wein, even though he's editor-in-chief, he would have he would have really peeved people off if he did that with Avengers or Spider. You know, you did putting an inexperienced 25-year-old on on a major book would have been a real problem. Mm. No one cared about X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> no one cared. No one thought it was going to stick around, oh, honestly, because it had already been cancelled once. Yeah. And it had been it had been created like from the top down. It had been created by a Marvel mandate. We need a team full of international flavor. Let's bring that cancelled series back and make everyone a different nationality go. Clement It's been said that Chris Clement approached the job of writing the X-Men like a method actor mm. that he, he he developed the characters by internalizing each of their characters examining their motives their desires their individual personalities and this approach to his writing drew immediate positive reaction um bob harris who was a former marvel editor-in-chief he said of it he said of chris Clement's writing on x-men he lived and breathed it. He would write whole paragraphs about what people were wearing. Wow. He really got into these people's thoughts, hopes, and dreams. Clement's take on this series has been likened to writing the great American novel about complex characters, only they happen to fly and have claws and could turn <laughs> to steel. Um, and it was he just turned on. He turned up the the, the needle on like. Emotional nuance, mm. um, character development, uh, um, amongst uh, grand operatic battles, um, and the stuff you know, the normal knockdown, drag out superhero comics. Yeah, the the first like comic that that Chris Clement saw at Marvel when he joined in in, in nineteen sixty nine was the first X Men issue, penciled by an incredible artist called Neil Adams. 
Um, and when he saw this, and Neil Adams has got this amazing distinctive style of drawing, when he saw this, Chris Claremont, for the first time, became really like enamoured with, with, with Jean Grey as a character. He thought she looked cool, was striking, and there was a lot there that could be um, that could be exploited. But when he was handed the reins on, on, on X-Men, the first issue after they create this new team, Jean Grey's going to leave the book. All the X-Men, except for Cyclops, leave the book. Cyclops sticks around as a new leader. Mm. So Clement's really frustrated because he's taken over. He wants to write Jean Grey. He's been told she's leaving. The artwork's already done. The comic is already finished and approved. It's too late to change it. So Clement promises himself he's going to bring Jean Grey back as soon as possible. Three issues later, that's exactly what he does. When he becomes the sole writer of the title, um, he immediately brings Jean Grey back. Uh, backed into the fold because he just has this um, uh, real connection to the character that he wants to write. Clement and and Dave Cochran is the artist at the time in 1975 decide to vastly upgrade Jean Grey. They change her costume and powers and and they they create a new kind of dynamic look and and name and powerful character. Phoenix, that's what they wanted to do. This is not... They do not have... The Dark Phoenix saga in mind. They do not have this grand rise and fall. That is not on the books. This was just a. This was just. We want to upgrade Jean Grey as a character. She's not cool enough. She's not powerful enough. She kind of doesn't fit in. So let's change her. Mm. Um, Clement said that their motivation with this was to create the X Men's version of Thor to have that next level power character yeah. that could that could really kind of anchor the, the the team when they get into top trouble um gene becomes the first um female cosmic hero a full year before marvel has carol danvers become ms marvel Ooh. um Clement and Cochrane create Jean Grey as, as, as Phoenix, and they hope that, like Thor had been integrated into the Avengers, Phoenix would become like this immensely powerful Thor-like character for the X Men. Okay. Um, okay. But when uh, when asked, like, there's an interview uh, where they ask Chris Claremont, like, what, what was it? He, he's writing X Men at this breakneck pace, and he's making all these changes. Clement says absolutely no plan. <laughs> he says, we didn't know what we were doing. Our attitude was, if we've got only a year or two, let's have fun with this book. Let's throw everything at the wall and hope something sticks. <laughs> so we start out with a team coming together. We throw in a trauma with Storm and a demon. We throw in planes blowing up at Kennedy Airport. Ooh. And then we're up to issue 100 right off the bat. So let's bring back the Sentinels. And suddenly we're having the transition of Gene into Phoenix. Um, and that was our second big game changer. This period of time, guys, is like so important to the X-Men. Because right as Phoenix is being introduced and becomes part of the team... Dave Cockrum leaves the series as artist and, and co like co creator and is replaced by John Byrne. Mm. John Byrne's a towering name in comic books. He's responsible for like the definitive version of Superman for twenty five years and all, all sorts of other things. Incredible runs on uh, the Fantastic Four and on all sorts of stuff. But he kind of really starts with the X Men. 
John Byrne and Chris Clement working together on the X-Men become like Stanley and Jack Kirby on the Fantastic Four. It's an incredible partnership creatively. The, the two of them um, grew up, well, spent their early years in Britain. And so they kind of shared this common culture and experience. Uh, um, and, and Chris Clement puts that down to like cultural touchstones that they can refer to, like reading Eagle comics when they were young. Um, which are kind of very classic UK uh, comic books over here, black mm. and white, lots of war stories, and <laughs> Dan Dare, Pilot of the Future and stuff. But this was not a harmonious relationship. Like, it is not... This is one of the great all-time, all-time... Like, this is like top three, maybe even top two, greatest partnerships in the history of superhero comics. And it is not the case that these guys were on the same page. They're not on the same wavelength with characters and with stories. They seemingly never agreed, which forced them both to rethink, rewrite, re-edit, compromise, and come together on ideas. And that would seem to be the magic of their partnership. Um, Clement was interviewed about his partnership with John Byrne, and he said, that was part of what made our tenure on the X-Men as exciting as it was. We had very divergent opinions on what should happen with the characters and the story arcs. Each of us thought we were right. John and I, in many respects, spoke the same language, the conceptual language, the imaginative language, but mine was to the left and his was to the right. Occasionally we bump into each other, but the conflict between us was the catalyst of really good stories. Neither of us ever got exactly what we wanted, but the synergy of what we did get was, more often than not, better than where each of us started and that was worth all of the kerfuffle that went into its creation now when when dave cochran was in the mix and just think about what this could have meant for x-men and marvel uh, in like maybe even for superhero comics in general when dave cochran was in the mix as the 50 percent of this partnership as the co-creator with chris clement phoenix was going to be the focus of the x-men stories um, Nightcrawler was being lined up as the cool guy breakout star of the series. Nightcrawler's being lined up as like the cool badass guy. Yeah. And Wolverine, who was not a popular character with anyone, was planned to be killed off. And not like in a way where it happens now and they'll be back in a week. In a way of like, no one likes this character. <laughs> and we can't think of anything to do with this character, we're going to kill him off. Ooh. It's John Byrne who who stops these things from happening. John Byrne arrives, and number one, he does not like Phoenix, which creates a lot of tension in the comic. And number two, he becomes the lone voice for pushing for Wolverine to become more of a focal point of the comic, to become to inhabit that role as the... Not like the, the good guy Cyclops leader, but the cool Han Solo badass. Yeah. And it's enduring this incredible run by Clement and Byrne that we get to see Wolverine at his most badass best, um, ruthless ass-kicking. It, it's during the prolonged Phoenix saga that, that we get to see that. We get to see part of, of the turmoil of his feelings for Jean Grey and his resentment to Cyclops. And they start to flesh out his mysterious past. As a government agent, his 
his background in Canada, they introduce this other super team, Alpha Flight, who come to take him back. And everything you love about the X-Men starts here. Mm. Every awesome thing from the comics, the cartoons, the video games, the movies, it's 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 here. Without Chris Claremont, Dave Cochran, and, and John Byrne, the X-Men would have been this forgotten footnote this novelty series that wasn't any good didn't sell very well nobody cared about it the legacy of the x-men starts right here with this partnership and with the phoenix we absolutely love hearing from you guys here at marvel versus marvel it's our favorite thing it's what jazzes us up it's what keeps us going to hear that feedback to hear what you guys think of the of the episodes of the movies of the tv shows to to hear that that we've led you down a, a different path with getting you into some different comics um you can always get in touch with us by firing off an email to marvel versus marvel at gmail.com or if you've got a short bit of love and feedback, you can find us on Twitter at Marvel versus Will. You've got that MVM mailbag. I do. It's huge this month. Sorry, this week. This this episode. This yeah, time. we haven't got a. It's not because we don't. Yeah, this fortnight. But then Americans don't have fortnight, so we'd confuse them. There's two weaker, whatever they call it. I'll I'll start from the top. We got Ben Brennan who sent in his memories of watching the cartoon. I watched this as a double whammy with Power Rangers during the DJ Cat Show on Sky One, Sky's attempt at a Saturday-Sunday morning kids show. The storyline made me realise that this was something much bigger than a single or sometimes double episode. I can't say I was able to follow all of it, but it felt epic. Uh, thank you, Ben. And hey, uh, Power Rangers uh, and X-Men, both uh, Hames Saban uh, Productions. Yeah, um, he was involved heavily with. I mean, the, the success of X Men is what allegedly spurred him on to the next project, which was Power Rangers. Um, yeah, fantastic, fantastic. DJ Cat rings a bell. I don't know if that Sky One's a UK company, UK channel, wasn't it? Sky. It's Sky, mate. Sky. I don't know. I don't what know. Do you mean you don't know? You know Sky One, Will? I know Sky One, but is it just UK or is it international? No, yeah, yeah, no, it's just, yeah, it's Rupert Murdoch's Sky One. Sky One, okay, I'm just trying to remember if I remember DJ Cat Show rings a bell. Just just trying to remember, Rob, just try, let me remember. Why won't you let me remember, Rob? Let me have memories. Is The Sun a British newspaper? I seem to remember The Sun is a British newspaper. Have I got that right? Do they have The Sun in Quebec, Canada? They do actually have The Sun (laughs) in other countries, but it's slightly different. Crack on. Next question. Next letter. There we go, because I'm correct. Uh, <laughs> we've got Jack Harris, who also got in touch. I remember I bought a DVD specifically of this arc and watched it several times when I was younger. Still the best interpretation of the story and this X-Men show altogether is the best Marvel animated series by a far stretch. Spider-Man would like a word. Yeah, I was about to say the same thing. I was like, <laughs> I, I admire, admire the balls, admire the whole, hey, we're going to... Say what we like and we what we what we favor, but 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 objectively you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Spider Man, I, I love so much of this series, and Spider Man, much like X Men, falls off at the end. But I just think that Spider Man, I think that Spider Man series is just a touch stronger. Yeah, yeah. I, I I mean I've only Beth- seen one two episodes of it, and I was like, oh no, I can definitely feel it's a lot better than the X Men cartoon, and I've watched the entire song. Lot. Yeah. 
Better theme song. Oh, it's all about the theme song. Although I did like the Incredible Hulk theme song as well. Anyway. Hulk, 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 Incredible Hulk. <laughs> it's epic. I love it. It's drama, human emotion. Anyway, we've got Stephen Tooley Biggs, uh, who said, I watched this about a hundred times. It was so real and raw, and I'm not sure what it was, but Jean Grey, the way she was written in the comics and how she was voiced in the cartoon is my ultimate favourite. The way the arc was split up was amazing and not rushed. The introduction of Dazzler during the Dark Phoenix saga, I can still hear the song she's singing in the nightclub, was amazing. Such an impact. Stephen Tooley Biggs uh, was my best friend between the age of 13 and 16, and he was the very first friend I had that read comic books. Ooh, nice. And we bonded hugely over X-Men, and we watched, you know, the cartoon thing together all the time, and we would take uh, regular trips to the comic book shop, which at the time was in a different city that we had to drive to, and we would just rifle through comics and talk comics the whole time, and um, whatever parent was driving us to the to, to to the nearest city comic book shop was bored to tears of us discussing Jean Grey and Cyclops and all of that. Um, yeah, I mean, it, I I know how much he loves this character. I know I, I know how much the, the the whole story and and the cartoon meant to him. And it's it's great that it's still a thing. I think he he's, he's got his kids watching it uh, to this day. Oh, that's good parenting right there. Good parenting. I was like, my, my, my experience of uh, Marvel with my parents, because obviously I don't have kids, I think my, my brother's getting his kids right onto them, where my uh, niece, on her third birthday, got incredibly excited at a present, uh, an action figure of the Hulk. She loves There the we Hulk. go. But, That's how we do it. Yeah, but my, my, my mum's the big Marvel... My mum's getting into Marvel like anything, but my dad saw infinity war or Endgame, and when it was rubbish didn't know what was going on and i was like okay did you watch the previous 17 films he went no and i was like ah there we go you've got to you got to put the work in <laughs> got to put the work you got to put the long game in uh i'm talking about him watching films anyway uh one last letter we got mike miguel who wrote in about his feelings on this story i'd never read any of the Marvel comics growing up. When the X-Men cartoon first came out, I was about 10 years old. I loved the costumes and the powers and the fighting, but all the different stories and characters seemed too confusing. By the time the Phoenix Saga started, I had grown up. I was 13, and I just adored this series. The Rogue Gambit love story was the original Twilight. The Jeans... <laughs> yeah, I like that. The Gene Scott wolverine love triangle was exactly the kind of drama I wanted in my teen angst years. At 13, the long stories and multiple characters weren't confusing and off-putting anymore. They were awesome. My brother was a big fan of the Batman cartoon, but I just didn't get it. Every Batman cartoon was about a middle-aged men in suits standing over in the dark, and then at the end of the episode, everything was over. <laughs> I love the Batman anim- Oh, don't. It's very atmospheric, but Mike is 100% correct, isn't he? <laughs> I, 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 think, I think the Batman cartoons uh, are much like uh, the Mar- Master of Phantasm, which I really hope we get to cover at some point. Um, it, it, you appreciate when you're older, when you start watching about people, uh, programs about people standing in rooms and talking, you appreciate it more. It's not like the X-Men <laughs> when there's punching. It's like, yeah, you know, my, my, my godsons hate it. <laughs> they- <laughs> If I put on if I put on Batman uh, the Brave and the Bold, which to many of us is a superior series, they love it. But the animated series, they're just like, what is happening? I 
I do wonder Why? who it was aimed at. It's so long and so quiet. Yeah, who was it aimed at? <laughs> just, just people who love Batman. No matter Monster what. success, though. Huge success. Yeah, huge so, success. you know. And, and in terms of theme tunes, I think as the greatest cartoon opening scene ever. I don't think anything... I mean, this, yeah, it, it is Yeah, it is really, really, really great. It's but so then, good. just think about that spike. Spider-Man's good, but... Oh, come on. Spider-Man, Batman with Spider-Man. lightning flashing behind him as Danny Elfman's theme plays. <laughs> come on, you can't... Anyway, anyway. I'll it conti- is great. I'll it continue great. with the letter. <laughs> just, that did make me giggle. The X-Men was just so much better. The characters and arcs, which carried on every single week. There was love and heartbreak and death and cool, tragic backstories. And stories like the Phoenix Saga carried on and went into space and changed characters. The Phoenix story was the first TV series of any kind that I owned on VHS. I'd watch it every day after school. And I'll never forget my dad's reaction when I asked for the Dark Phoenix videotape. Didn't I already buy you that one? It's the same story. They just added the word dark. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Oh, There's my nothing, Lord. nothing better than a dad cutting down your enthusiasm to save himself 10 quid. <laughs> oh. Phenomenal. Thanks to all the guys for all the letters that we received. And don't forget, you can drop us a line at marvel versus marvel at gmail.com. Follow us or send us some, uh, tweet us some love at marvel versus. But the best way to get in touch with us is to head on over to our website, patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash marvel versus marvel. Because... There's so much more to Marvel vs. Marvel than you get here on the main show. Um, There are two bonus episodes that go out every single month to our exclusively to our subscribers. We have a huge amount of fun with Obscure Marvel, don't we, Will, on the first Mm, of every month? Absolutely. Uh, We had had, um, Big Wheel and uh, Rocket (laughs) Rocket Racer. Um, Well, last, last month, this month, depending on when this comes out and when you hear it, huge amounts of fun. Obscure Marvel is a special show, an exclusive to Patreon show, where I explain to Will some of the most ridiculous, ludicrous characters in the Marvel Universe blow his tiny little mind, and we have just incredible uh, fun. Uh, We're usually drinking. I'm usually drinking. (laughs) Um, And that's our great little mini-episode that we put out there every month. And then we've got the big Mac Daddy, the big, meaty, girthy, full-length bonus episode that we drop every month where we look at a, a... a Marvel story that perhaps has not been ever adapted properly on TV <clears throat> or in the movies, and uh, we do a glorious deep dive into that story. Our big one in August was an X-Men-related one. It was Onslaught. Will, how, how did that go for you? How did you enjoy the the onslaught bonus episode that we did i did i i did enjoy it i mean you'll hear on the episode there was a bit of a anti-climax of one of the things uh i won't spoil it but like we were like thinking oh this is going to be proper deep about something it's like no it's it it really is um it's the dichotomy of the era isn't it because mm. it is one it is perhaps the biggest storyline of the 90s it's perhaps the biggest crossover 
up until that Marvel crossover event until that time. But then also we get the fall of Marvel. It's falling apart. There's too many cooks in the kitchen. Um, it's, it's, it's a great tale. It's over two hours, the episode. Um, and it's all there exclusively for our patrons because, hey, listen, this show takes a huge, tremendous amount of work and effort. We're not turning up, you know, every couple of days and giving you a 30-minute chat about the latest trailer that's <laughs> dropped or the latest MCU news and rumours. We're not about that. We're better than that. We're superior to that. We're above that. We bring you these kind of deep dives, these kind of explorations of the true great moments in Marvel Comics history, and we pull it all apart for you. We dig into production notes. We dig into interviews and creators and behind the page. We do it all for you, baby. We do it all for you. And what do you do for us? What do you do for us? Because some of you are sat on your hands doing nothing, and you deserve nothing back. And some people, some people say, hey, the way that content is distributed right now is broken, and the only real way for you, for me, to get what I want, to make sure a podcast doesn't go away, to make sure a podcast keeps its quality up, I need to step up. I need to do the right thing. I need to go to patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. I need to subscribe. I need to pledge my money because money's the only thing that matters around here. It's the only thing that's going to keep us on the air. And we got some big ballers. Mm. Peter J, Mikey W, Zach Thomas. The three big ball names that we've got here in the Versaverse on the show. Those are the guys that do the right thing, above and beyond, above and beyond. Because let me break it down for you. You pledge £3 to the show to keep us, to support us on the air, to keep us on the air and support us, you get rewarded with Obscure Marvel, the mini-episodes, every single month. Thank you. You want access to those full-length bonus episodes? You pledge £10 a month, and that's what you get in exchange. You get the Obscure Marvel series, and the full-length ones every month. An incredible deal. You also get early access to these shows three days, three days before the rest of the world. You get it on a Friday, not a Monday. But Peter J., Mikey W., and Zach Thomas, they see all of that, and they say, I can do more. <laughs> and that's what they do. They pledge at the £20 level. They're pulling someone else's weight. You're sat there, sat in your hands, doing nothing. Peter J's pulling your weight. Mikey W's pulling weight for you. Zach Thomas is keeping the lights on while you're doing nothing. So make sure that you, you know, step up. Hey, let's say a big welcome to uh, Rondal Dobert, to Chris Pollock and Christopher Kramer. They are brand new members of the Versaverse. They're brand new guys that are that are pitching in. And they're uh, joining that £10 pledge level. Christopher Kramer, do you know what he did, Will? What did he do? Christopher Kramer, he joined at the £3 tier. Mm. And we say, God bless you, we thank you, we love you, you're supporting us. Do you know what he did within the hour? What did he do within the hour? He nutted up and he immediately upped his pledge to the £10 tier. Good boy. Because he said, I need all that bonus content. Um... Or he said, you know who needs this money? 
who deserves this money more than me? It's Robin Will on Marvel <laughs> vs. Marvel. And that's what he did. And we love all the guys that get in touch. Uh, Cody, one of our incredible patrons, dropped us a line and said, Hey guys, I loved the unscripted show and the first dive into DC. I'll admit, I was one of those people that was one-sided of the Marvel or DC being better than the other. But I have seen the light and love the appreciate, love and appreciate both. I agree with what you all said about Justice League and the Snyderverse. I thought it was a better movie than what originally came out, but it was still not really all that good. I enjoyed the Aquaman, Wonder Woman, the first one, and the Suicide Squad, the new one. I feel that they can get people... I feel they can get people that can make good movies, but they don't have direction, maybe. Mm. I'd be interested in your thoughts on the new Suicide Squad. I really like James Gunn. He can make a good movie, in my opinion. The concept of Suicide Squad is odd for me because I don't necessarily like villains being glorified, if that's the right way to say it. Uh. But overall, I really liked it. Also, since Rob thought Kang was going to be a misdirect... Oh, we Mm. need to be careful on this one, Rob. Okay, Uh, Cody... I've just as I've read that, I realized we might be dropping some spoilers if I keep reading it. So <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'll shoot you a message privately and not do it on the air. Uh, but thank you for getting in touch, Cody. Uh, Brandon uh, Smigilski, Brandon Smigilski got in touch and said, "Wow." Oh, okay. To clarify what Brandon's about to talk about, okay, clarify. Me will also run the One Hundred Club. Mm. The 100 Club is exclusive for our members that have pledged £100 or more to this podcast. You can buy your way in with like a year of, of pledging and donating and supporting us. Or or you can, as some have, you can just drop one a £100 pledge off the bat, get yourself into that club. And what you get in exchange for being part of the 100 Club is me and Will, we'll get in touch with you. We will set up a a, a personal private video call, and the three of us will shoot the breeze, we'll chat Marvel, we'll chat DC, we'll chat geek stuff, we'll talk about the podcast, we'll talk about anything you want to talk about. You get that private communication, uh, private contact, a really great hang, and and we've been doing that, which has been incredible for more and more people to join the 100 Club um, with every growing month, and and, uh, sometimes our our dance card can be full, but um, but we'll we'll get to all of you uh, in in, in time if if you you want to take that call and, uh, and really get a a great experience and a great thank you. You know, a year of support. That's what we want to say thank you for. Brandon Smigilski, wow, I can't believe I already made it to the 100 Club. (laughs) It feels like I just started listening, but on the other hand, with how much content you guys have put out, it's like I've been listening for years. Unfortunately, with the rise of the Delta variant, my work has shifted back into its pandemic hours. I work in a hospital, I don't have patient contact, so I don't want to inflate my role. But I'm going to step out the letter and say, anyone that works in a hospital, man, you're doing big, big things. You're you're helping so many of us. Absolutely. I, I can't believe how much you know stress and work you must be under. Um, so I don't think you need to inflate your role, Brandon. I think your role's pretty inflated already, man. Um, and, and they've extended our hours and open weekends to employees to come in. So it seems like all I do is work and then go home to sleep, which makes working out uh, a video call very difficult. I appreciate the jester, 
the gesture but you guys already do more than enough for me and will always have my support i do want to take this time to thank you both again with the pandemic and my crazy work schedule you guys really helped me get through everything i limit myself to listening to the show only when i'm at work so i found myself actively looking forward to going to work just so i can listen i can never thank you enough and you both have a fan and supporter for life not just when it comes to marvel versus marvel but in any future projects that will come i hope you both enjoy your well-deserved time off and i can't wait to listen when you guys get back oh i mean that's like that's the greatest let we've ever got brandon um thank you so much for being such a loyal supporter um across the board um you've been with us for you know lord knows how long now nearly i guess i guess a year or more which we really really you know appreciate and um, we appreciate what you do in 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 your work life as well and you know what we we've always we heard a lot of this at the start um that our format's too long <laughs> who's gonna listen to that who's gonna listen to a two-hour episode who's gonna listen to a three-hour episode who's gonna listen to a four-hour episode who's gonna listen to a two-parter about the phoenix saga brandon's gonna listen that's why we goddamn do it yeah because people have got they've got some crap going on in their lives they've got some long shifts they've got some hard work to do Maybe they ain't got anyone to talk to for long hours. Maybe they got a lot of crap going on. Maybe they need to get on that treadmill. Maybe they need to go for long, long runs. You know, well, maybe you need to sort out the shed and the garage. We're here for that. We're here for all the stuff where you just want to put some headphones on, kind of get away from it all. That's what we're here for. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to reach out to Brandon. And uh, Brandon, you can't, you can't, you know, meet us. Okay, cool. We're going to get in touch with you, Brandon, um, because of your situation and because of how loyal you, 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 you've been to us, which we really appreciate. If we can't reward you with a phone call, we're going to work out a way to record a special episode just for you. You pick the topic, anything you want to hear me and Will talk about. Me and Will, we'll find the time. We'll record something and we'll, we'll, we'll find a way of sending it to you. Absolutely. So you've got something extra from us to you. No one else in the world's going to hear it. It's just going to be uh, just for your ears only. So, Brandon, we're going to get in touch, set that up. Uh, because, uh, listen, if you support us, we will do whatever we can to try and support you right back. I think we have set the table like, like in, in like almost no way we ever have done before. We've got closer to the production side of this. I mean, I cannot believe the details we were able to... Uh, Will was able to get his hands on and to bring up for this episode, which is incredible. We've gone behind the page and talked about the most incredible time in, in X-Men history. We've heard from the people that matter most. We've heard from the people that love us, that love this story. Um, and uh, we're right there ready to, to, to crack on with this. Just going to break it down for you. This is part one of our two-part on the Phoenix Saga. Yes. We're going to deal with the first two episodes, which are Sacrifice and Dark Shroud. Um, and uh, and then in part two, we're going to be covering the last three episodes of the Phoenix Saga. Now, that will leave us well open later on in the coming months for us to go back and delve into 
The Dark Phoenix Saga, which uh, will be, I imagine, another two-part episode. There is so much to get out of this and to dive into. We're so excited. So uh, Will is going to be uh, taking it away for us now with part one of uh, of of part one, I guess. <laughs> yeah, Will, part one of part one. Part one of part one. I have got uh, Mike McGale's old VHS here. Ready to put in the machine. <laughs> How do you like that? A call back for the letter section. So part one, sacrifice. In outer space, a war rages on, while Professor X hears a voice asking him to save her. Charles doesn't know the stranger's voice and implores the voice to tell them who he is trying to hurt them. One of the spaceships coats an enemy vessel in a brown coating before using a tractor beam to bring it aboard their ship. The source of the voice reveals itself to be an alien on board one of the doomed ships. So we got Interstellar War and the X-Men. Interstellar War. Does that happen a lot on the X-Men? Because this sounds like a Guardians of the Galaxy kind of thing. Um, this is the start of it. Okay. Um, from, 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 from this point in, in, in 75, 76, the X-Men will then always have this really awesome, fun connection to the cosmic part of, of Marvel. Um, and the, like the Avengers had done, um, the, they, they tripped into space with the classic, um, storyline of the Kree scroll war, uh, in, in 1970. 1972 I think mm. um, so not long before this and I really think that Clement wanted to prove that anything the Avengers could do the X-Men could do better uh-huh. we certainly we certainly heard how the intention is to to upgrade Jean Grey and create kind of a Thor character to make the X-Men big players power wise you know or at least he wanted to swim in the same pool yeah and and quite frankly, the Clement Cochrane burn depiction of alien worlds in the X Men is a million times cooler than what we had in, in, in that Avengers story in seventy seventy two. Um there is all this infighting and political intrigue and dissidence and a kind of uh, uh, fantasy mythology to their backstory and their religion and powers. It, it, it's Game of Thrones in space in the seventies. <laughs> it's cool. I like that. This is the thing. I, I, I as there's a lot of interesting stuff with the X Men, but it's like this. This sort of knowledge of uh, the worlds. Like, does it ever get passed on to humans? That's a hard. That's that's hard to answer for any of it. For for, mm. for um, I mean, it certainly does. We certainly see um, when we get to the Dark Phoenix saga, the president is involved, um, and it's definitely Jimmy Carter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the the um, but it, that's kind yeah. of hard to answer for yeah. the I guess for the um, the the Marvel universe as a whole because. It, it, it's it there there is this kind of how much knowledge does the public have about the aliens and stuff don't forget i mean you know what 1963 64 63 64 galactus uh, and the watcher were right there in the middle of manhattan gobbling up you know about to gobble up the entire world and j jonah jameson claimed it was a hoax but I, I think aliens have been a big part of Marvel since the early days. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, obviously, because it's all connected universe at that point, it's like, come on, c- 
Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, silly question. Anyway, back to the story. In the middle of the night, Professor X gathers a very sleepy X-Men team to the war room for an emergency meeting. A space shuttle heading to Starcore is due to launch tomorrow and the X-Men need to find a way to get aboard it or the crew, including Dr. Corbeau, aboard Starcore are doomed. However, when quizzed about the mission, Charles has no idea why other than he just knows that an event of extreme importance is going to happen in space. Storm is also ordered to remain on Earth while the rest of the team goes ahead. Later, Cyclops presses the Professor for answers, but all Charles can tell him is that his visions are out of control and he doesn't know what they mean. Wolverine has a great line here. Uh, Makes about as much sense as some of the stuff we do. That is so funny. But he also yeah. reads to me almost like a TV, a t- like a TV people perspective. Yeah, like yeah. as if someone said, "Hang on, why are they going into space?" He's like, winking and then at someone the camera. turned around. Yeah. Someone turned around and went, "Why do they do any of the things they do?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, good, good, good point. It's insane. <laughs> only, only someone as jaded as him could actually do that, though. Almost, yeah. It's, can you can you do his voice in this? Makes about as much sense as some of the stuff we do. That's really good. But if you just go up on some... Up, up in pitch or up in volume? Um, up in pitch. So okay. it's... Uh, but up, up in pitch. I'll do it one more time for you. Some of the stuff we do. Makes about it. as much sense as some of the stuff we do. That's it, yeah. Gumbo. It, it's a, yeah. That's my, fav- my favourite bit. He goes, just say, oh, cool. He does that horrible oh, yeah. French accent. He calls Gambit a gumbo. Yeah, I love which it. Which I can't work out if it's racist. <laughs> oh, it's hardly racist. They're it's, French. It's, it's regionally xenophobic. Yeah, in, in, in the States, if it's regional xenophobia rather than... Yeah, yeah it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, uh, some other questions like... Um, Charles, I thought he was usually in control of his powers, but some alien fo- voices going, eh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, yeah. <laughs> well, um, it depends most of the time Charles is in control of his powers mm. uh, also there's this one time when he died and the Red Skull dug up his body and stole his brain his dead brain and used his dead brain to give himself psychic powers and turn the whole world against mutants makes about so, as much sense as some of the <laughs> stuff we do <laughs> So that's going to be a callback throughout the whole episode <laughs> And then there's also I don't know if you've spent two hours learning about this. Will there's this little thing? Called on- <laughs> oh, humble brag! Or is there's it this guilt? little thing called onslaught? Yeah. Um, oh, yes. And we don't need to give too much away about that. Yeah. But, um, Xavier in control of his powers. Mm, head to uh, head to Patreon if you want to uh, if you want to hear more about perhaps the biggest X Men in Marvel story of all time as of. 1996. That does get interesting, though. Really, it's a good episode. It's, it's, a, it's a proper saga, mate. It's a proper saga. It's actually called the Onslaught Event. This one, for some reason, is a saga. <laughs> and the Onslaught is called the Onslaught Event. I don't know why. There's probably a graph at Marvel headquarters. If it's this yeah. amount of issues, it's an event. If it's this one, it's a saga. Uh, yeah, yeah, Onslaught is like the most issues ever. <laughs> um... <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I always think event and saga. And, okay. Obviously, obviously, I haven't been to Marvel office and looked at their big impressive graph, Rob. Jeez. Anyway, I have another question. If you're okay to answer it, 
no. No. Go home. Read the stress of the story, <laughs> Will. Our view, not viewers, our listeners want to hear what happens next. Uh, is this team of X-Men from the 90s any different? from the team of the 70s Phoenix stories, because I imagine they would have done some change arounds because they haven't introduced characters yet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. So, so characters like Gambit and Jubilee don't join the X-Men until the, the 90s. Yeah, thought so. So they're not in it. Rogue uh, doesn't appear until the 80s, and even then sexy she's rogue. a villain. Sexy Rogue. Well, she's not Sexy Rogue to begin with. It's weird. It's weird. What, she's she, frumpy she, Rogue? She has a very, very short haircut. Okay. The grey in her hair is in the sides. Oh. Almost like Reed Richards. So it's like an undercut. And she, and she wears, yeah, and she wears kind of like these jumpsuits. And she looks like kind of like a, I, I, I want to say like a middle-aged female mechanic. It's very, it, honestly, it's like a different character when you finally get to see her. It, with the long flowing hair and uh, the the Gambit love story, mm. yeah, okay, okay. And Rogue Rogue would be a problem for this story. Rogue Ooh. is a problem for this story. Okay, there's a reason she has to stay behind. Why? Because she could very easily have done what Green Jean Grey does at the end of the episode. At the end of this, these two episodes, Which Rogue's one? powers yeah. would negate Jean Grey completely from the storyline. Aha! Uh-huh. Um, yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the the seventy five X Men team from the original Phoenix stories consists of Cyclops um, uh, as the as the team leader, Jean Grey. They're the only two holdovers from the classic X Men team mm. of the sixties, and then we've got this new team of Storm, Wolverine, Colossus. Nightcrawler and Banshee, yeah, um, yep. who are the 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 guys that stuck around from the new team. So Thunderbird, uh, Sunfire don't last on the on the new team very long, which is a shame, really. But um, it's all part of the grander mythos. Grander mythos, the lore. Anyway, back to the story. That same evening, the Blackbird lands near the launch base with Storm creating a fog shroud, allowing the rest of the team to sneak in. After breaking through a secure door, an alarm sounds inside the base, but this doesn't deter the X-Men. Realising that the launch won't go ahead if an intruder is still at large, Cyclops designates Jubilee. Disintegrates Jubilee. I I, I always (laughs) read that as disintegrates. I don't know why. He disintegrates Jubilee. He takes his glasses off and he just destroys her with his eyes. Because her coat is too yellow. Uh, <laughs> d- d- uh, designates Jubilee to be captured to throw them off the scent. As the team Good of- team tactic, right? It is. That is a great red herring. That really fun- smart. Yeah, because they are not- they catch someone, they're not going to say, oh, there's more people around. No, we got them. It was a teenage I think girl. She- I think the teenage girl came here with six adults. <laughs> Yeah, we can tell because she does look like the kind of person who would only walk around with six adults. Six ethnically diverse adults. Let's look for them. (laughs) Oh, dear. Uh, As the team run off to find the locker room, Jubilee is taken away by two soldiers. In the locker room, Cyclops knocks out the astronauts inside, allowing the mutants to take their place. Just as, as the team have finished suiting up, another astronaut, Dr. Corbeau, walks in on them. But Jean Grey immediately uses her powers to convince him that they are the rest of the team before they head off to the launch pad. Okay, 
I okay, you know, you know, you know me when we looked at X Men the animated series before, and they they snuck in the and, and I and I correctly criticised their sneaking tactics because I do play a lot of Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Surely a random fog is going to be incredibly suspicious. No. Why not? When there's fog outside, do you immediately think someone's trying to break into your house? Or do you go, there's fog? Bit weird, isn't it? But it's weather. Uh, no, I, I, I immediately... No, you don't. No, you don't. No, Come on. It's, it's this is the problem that people have with these things when they... It's like the whole thing of Superman's identity. It's only a thing to you because you know Superman has a secret identity. Like, no one's expecting someone who can control the weather to create a fog to let people sneak in. See, all I'm thinking of is if you're doing a military thing and you throw a smoke grenade and if you see smoke coming up. But I suppose fog and smoke are two different things. They're very different things, Will. (laughs) If smoke, thick, thick smoke suddenly fills the room, then you go, oh, there's a fire. Or I wouldn't. I wouldn't even immediately assume smoke grenade. Well, I. Well, I'm exciting. Okay. Well, you've shot down that theory. You <laughs> shot down that theory because you're awful. Uh, the next one. Uh, they're all they're all bickering and arguing with each other. You know, just like you do expect from Marvel, isn't it? You, they all bicker. I like it. It's. It, I, I, the, the back and forth and the bickering in this episode is is really great, and I do think the 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 series as a whole, the cartoon series as a whole, um, really got on top of that being the best thing about Marvel. That that they, there's lots of antagonism and nobody gets along. I don't, have you ever watched? Have you been watching Ted Lasso? I don't understand how so many of you have Apple TV. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's nothing else on it. So I know no. it's the only thing. But like, like uh, if if Ted Lasso was in charge of the X Men, everyone would be hugging. Everyone would be hugging. I'd like to join in and laugh and go. That's a great observation and comment. But I I have no reference for it. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> because I I don't have Apple TV. Uh, uh, all the Apple TV viewers out there, they are dying right now. Will that's the top top three comment of the show. They're loving it. They're loving the it. rest of us crickets. Crickets. Thanks. Don't say crickets. I'm due back on stage, and the last thing I want to think about is crickets. Well, don't do five minutes of Ted Lasso jokes, then. You'll get, like, a 13% of the audience. What's the deal with Apple TV subscription? (laughs) It's just like Netflix, except much more. There's nothing on it. No, nothing on it. Um, So... Back to the saga. So the Phoenix saga, this is how it starts in the comic books, right? Them sneaking into space, which is a great way of entering space, sneaking into space. Are you ready? Okay. Sort of, but but not not really. really. There we are. There it is. So the Sentinels turn up uh, at Christmas. At Christmas? What, did they bring presents? Jeez. Well... They kidnap some of the X-Men, half the X-Men, Gene, Wolverine, and Banshee. That's the opposite of presence. They they take them off somewhere. They take them off into space. Oh, wow. um, Because they can't be found anywhere on Earth. So the the, the X-Men team realise, oh, they've taken them to this space station in space. (laughs) Oh. So they do hide aboard the Starcore shuttle. Okay. As it launches, and that gets them up to the space station. So they kind of sneak aboard, and they don't quite infiltrate it like this. They're, honestly, 
Uh, I I could not. I really laughed hard when Cyclops just walks into a room and shoots six innocent people. <laughs> um, I I know that his visor kind of. I guess it stuns them. His his blast stuns them. But there was just almost like no reasoning. There was no. Ex- he was just immediately door open and he just shoots them all until they fall down. Uh, that was very funny. Um, so that's they, how you they, save they, time on script. Yeah. That's how you say it. They, they, there's again, there's a real pasting with this, isn't it? Is that they've got to come on, come on, get him into space. Come on, go, 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 go. Five phases of dialogue. Um, no, he punches them. He punches them and they fall over. But once the team get aboard the space station um, and battle some sentinels, which don't aren't particularly difficult for them, they're then faced this new team, the new X Men team, get up there and suddenly realize they're facing the original X Men team. Cyclops, Marvel Girl, Iceman, Angel, and Beast. Okay. All in their original costumes. Beast, no blue fur. Cyclops, you know, there's another Cyclops. Mm, Okay. (laughs) Um, And then the Professor Professor X turns up, and he demands, tells his his original students they need to kill the new X-Men. And so a big fight breaks out, and during this fight... It, it, it it's revealed that these X-Men are not human. Uh. They are a new breed of mutant-killing robots called X-Sentinels. Oh. Um, very Terminator before Terminator. They're designed to confuse the X-Men and make them second-guess themselves so they can infiltrate and destroy them. Very, 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 very good. Amazing. Okay. Sneaky tactics. Yeah, I like that. So that's 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 what happens when they, that's how they get into space. Sort of, but not really of the show. God, it's been a while since you've said that. Brilliant. It's brilliant to have that back. Uh, at, back to the story, though. At daybreak, the shuttle launches with a concerned Charles Xavier and Storm watching from a distance. Professor wishes he knew what they were facing, but Storm tells him to trust them as they have trusted him. Just then, Charles senses that the soldiers have Jubilee under custody. Before the soldiers can take Jubilee away to prison, Storm uses a tornado to break into the room through the glass and free Jubilee. Meanwhile, in space, the shuttle carrying the X-Men is preparing to dock with the Star Corps, an impressive-looking space station. In the cargo hold, best marvels at the beast marvels at the cargo. Sorry, best. I heard that it's beast. <laughs> yeah. It is beast, yeah. Yeah. Beast marvels at the cargo, a manned probe intended to orbit the sun. This reminded me of uh, Kerbal Space Program, a great space game, because I have done uh, solar probes before. It's great. Just shove it out there. You do look like the kind of person who's done a few solo probes in your time. I don't know where. Uh, you, there's several ways I could take that. You know what? I'll just take all of them, because you're, hor- you're a horrible man. Horrible man. Uh- I, I, I'm getting mixed up with what the Star Corps is in this. Yeah. I, 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 think, I think the space station is called, like, Eagle One. Yeah. And I think the thing they travel in is called the Star Corps. Okay, um, if I say Star Corps I, in, in this, it's probably the shuttle or the space station. But, Either way, you but know it's, it's a human spaceship. I think it's different in the comics. Yeah. I think in the comics, Star Corps is the space station. Mm. Um. I, I I don't know. I did Maybe go, they get it mixed up in the cartoon. I went back and forth while watching this and taking notes. You know, there was a lot to yeah. take in in these episodes. There was so much going on. Again, they are 
they, they, all this language we heard at the start in the production notes of, yeah. all we need to do is cram four issues into 20 minutes. Yeah. And you watch this and you go, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> a There's no chance to breathe. There is no chance. I, I, I had to keep pausing going, what's happened there? What's happened there? What's happened there? What's happened there? Anyway, the space station itself, Starcore, uh, I, I, it reminded me of the Fantastic Four film. Remember the one they had that was all futuristic looking and like There's unrealistic? a space station in that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it looked great. And had the, the weird artificial gravity that, you know, obviously it's cheaper just to have artificial gravity in a film rather than film them in zero gravity pushing themselves around, which I absolutely love. It had that kind of, like, this this won't exist for another 100 years, this kind of space station, but it's really cool to look at. Yeah, I mean, I, I uh, you know, everyone's a big fan of Babylon 5 and DS9 and stuff, and, um, I mean, I think this kind of... I don't know. I can't. I think this definitely predates DS Nine. It might. De- it might predate kind of um, Babylon Five. Ninety. Ninety. What would this be? Ninety three. Ninety four. Who knows? But yeah, there was this period of time in science fiction where space stations were all the rage. So, what did it look like in the original comic? I mean, it's not. I mean, I don't. I don't. I wouldn't really say it's anything particularly spectacular. It's just. A, it's a silver space station and then you go inside and fight some sentinels it's not like a oh the majesty and the wonder of the it's just <laughs> get inside we've got to beat some robots up okay 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 i like that so also uh now this is me being very boring surely the here, e- we, here we go here we go I, I, Put I, on our train conductor hats it's time for an engineering lesson with will Surely the X-Men would require some kind of training to cope with being launched into space. No, um, it, it, it's I know I do know what you mean that you, you would think that, but um, what what um, there's a quite famous um, event that proved this. It's actually easier to train miners, drillers that mine, <laughs> to go into space. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe destroy. you're doing this. I can't <laughs> destroy, believe and destroy an asteroid with mining techniques <laughs> than it is to train astronauts to use a drill. But so <sighs> going into space, I mean, even if you're like a really old, even if you're like bald and kind of past it, or even if you're Ben Affleck, it's just really going into space is really easy. <laughs> I hate you so much right now. Will, we're, just we're better than thing. this. I don't we're... want to miss a thing, Will. <laughs> let's just let's just let's just focus in on it. I don't want to miss a thing. Come on, going into space is dead easy. Ben Affleck does it all the time. Oh, I'm so I'm so upset right now. I'm so upset. Oh, I'm so. Ups- I, I, I could close my eyes, you know. Just oh just, just no, just see. <laughs> God, Michael Bay, I can't stand it. Anyway, anyway. Michael Bay would make an awesome, awesome X-Men movie. Would he? It would just be explosions. Okay, that's what Marvel movies are, kind of, anyway, but I guess. I don't know. No. Let's let's push on. Let's push on. Sorry, I'm stuck in this Michael Bay hole. Uh, Okay, Dr. Corbo, let's talk about him. Is he someone we should know from the comics? Yeah, he's he's really weirdly all over the place. So he first appears in, in the Incredible Hulk. Um, he, he's a, a a college roommate of Bruce Banner, mm. and when the army kind of managed to capture Hulk at one point with with the, sort of all sorts of tranquilizers and stuff, they bring him to Doctor Corbeau, and he uses a, a device to uh, manipulate solar rays to neutralize the gamma energy 
in, in, in his body to basically turn Hulk back into Bruce Banner. Oh, wow. He's always connected with, like, solar stuff. Mm. Solar research. Um, he's the uh, head researcher for, for a NASA project to create a faster-than-light drive that was going to be using some sort of solar and some alien crystals. And Carol Danvers was a part of that project, part of that laboratory, before she's Ms. Marvel. Okay. Because um, Carol Danvers knocks around for a while before she becomes a superhero mm. um and and then he, he turns out to be an old friend of professor x hey um he he rescues uh he's part of rescuing uh helping professor x and the other x-men rescue the, the guys in space basically un- under the cover of of um examining the this so right <laughs> so take, here we take go. a yeah. take a breath rob okay a big part of this phoenix transformation phoenix story at the start is a solar storm which is going to be uh, really bad. Like, solar flares, the radiation, it's going to be terrible. Um, and uh, Dr. Corbeau wants to study it. So he uses his NASA connections to uh, get StarCore shuttle launch into space mm. and basically lets the X-Men sneak aboard. He doesn't really need to go and monitor anything in space, but he can help Professor X get his X-Men up into space to get to the space station to sneak on and try and rescue the other X-Men that are up there with the Sentinels and the guy that has created more Sentinels, Stephen Lang, who is not related to Scott Lang. Scott Lang. Yeah. It'd be nice. It'd be nice if there was some connection, but no, it'd be too ridiculous, apparently. Yes. Yes. So Corbo, Corbo bounces all over the place. He's, he, he, he went to, he went to university. He's an old friend of, of Bruce Banner. He's an old friend of, uh, Professor X, and he's an old friend of Carol Danvers. Amazing. Okay, let's continue. As the team enters the space station, Jean suddenly senses a presence she hasn't felt before, a possible trap. Just then, the mind control Jean was using on Dr. Corbo stops working, and the room they're in fills with gas, knocking everyone out. An armoured figure enters the room. Eric the Red, an emissary of the Shi'ar Empire, the red figure gets a call from his superior, chiding him for allowing stowaways on board the station. He then orders the space station staff that he's mind-controlled to throw the unconscious X-Men out the airlock as a warning against someone called Leandra. As the air... Lilandra. Le- Lilandra. Lilandra. Le- Lilandra. Yeah. I'll keep calling it Leandra. Yeah. Don't know why. You've written it several times with an L. Yeah, but... You it's... typed it. You typed all of this. People are so angry right now. I Landra as the I don't I don't it's not a real name. Whoa, whoa, dear Marvel versus Marvel. How dare you write and say my name's not real? Sincerely, Leandra Butternickers or something. Anyway, I'll continue before we get bogged down. As the airlock countdown happens, Jean gains consciousness and tries to mind control the station staff to abort the airlock, but it's too late. The airlock opens and Cyclops is nearly sucked out into space, but not before Jean finally mind controls the staff to close the doors. I, uh, again, uh, I, I, uh, I put you in... Is it engineering time? Engineering time, even though you won't probably... You know, this will be over before you put your hat on. Uh, I'm just surprised he wasn't sucked out faster. Who uh, misses? Um, I said sucked out. 
sucked out. <laughs> Just saying it again and again makes it worse. I know. <laughs> that happens quite a lot on on any 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 show where like yeah. a, a, an airlock is open. There's always the 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 dramatic rush. Um, and you can always just about claw your way. Hold on to something. Yeah. I don't think holding on to something is going to help in the slightest. No, it's like aliens. Your arm, yeah. your arm will tear off yep. the socket before you can, you know. Well, I liked it in 2001, A Space Odyssey, where he just immediately shoots out almost like like he bangs on the side or something, and it's like it, it, it felt felt real. Have you seen how you have you seen Goldfinger recently? Uh, what the, the James Bond movie? Yeah, no. They're up really high in a plane, going really yes. fast. Yeah, and that's how he kills Goldfinger. He he shoots out a window, and this big uh, rumbly tumbly uh, rotund fella gets sucked out of a tiny window. It can happen. Um, yeah. So there we go. Goldfinger. Sorry, I guess going to Alan Partridge mode. Also, uh, Eric the Red seems important to the story. Obviously, uh, I mean he's he's he's, he's just... He's ridiculous. He looks ridiculous. So he's obviously important. <laughs> I mean, and obviously he's a comic book character, right? And this is how the X Men meet him. Uh, he he is a comic book character. This is not how they meet him. Okay. okay. Um, Eric the Red, uh, Shakari, Shakari, uh, Davan Shakari is his is his name. Um, he he has incredible hips. Um. He he's an agent of the of the Shi'ar. We don't know who he is for ages. Mm. He's the mysterious figure, armored figure. Um, Eric the Red is the name, and basically for ages he's trying to kill Professor Xavier, and we don't yeah. know why. So Cyclops's brother Havoc and his, Havoc's girlfriend Lorna Dane, um, who is a, a mutant with magnetic powers, mm. um, they get. They basically try to kill Professor X, and we don't know why. And then it's kind of revealed they're they're being mind controlled by this dude, Eric the Red. Um, we have this big battle at Kennedy International Airport. Planes explode and things. Um, and uh, the, the, you know, Eric the Red is, is controlling them. Um, two villains called uh, Juggernaut and Black Tom. He basically manages to engineers their, their release from prison or escape, and he turns them into his agents. Um, he... Uh, there's a Okay, so pr- Magneto is a baby. Um, Magneto's a toddler. Now. That happened. Okay. Okay? Yeah. I, I, you he don't used- have to explain how people mature, mate. It's okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean... He became an, he's an adult like the rest of us, mm. and then something happened, and as punishment for being a bad guy, he was turned back into a baby. This sounds like a terrible nineties <laughs> comedy. And so he he was sent to uh, live at Muir Island, and uh, Shakari Shakari uh, Eric the Red <laughs> travels to Muir Island and has you know what he's got with him, Will. He's got a re-aging ray. Uh. And he goes, What you got to pull? And Magneto pop pops back into a grown man again. And he is furious that he's been turned into a baby. And and that the X-Men have been wiping his ass and looking after him. He's really angry about it. Um and so uh uh Eric the Red basically sets Magneto free and he tries to kill the X-Men, kill Xavier and all of and they, they, it's a really big battle. Um and then 
the X-Men track actually managed to track Eric the Red down. Okay. In New York. And you're going to have to call up your memory from our Galactus uh, bonus episode. As they're about to, like, gang up and defeat Eric the Red, Eric the Red has an, a new ally, Fire Lord, Herald <laughs> of Galactus, one of the most powerful beings in the galaxy, is now his best friend. Um, wow. And basically, he because Fire Lord has no knowledge of, of Earth, he was able to easily convince Fire Lord that the X-Men were villains trying to take over the world and stuff. And so Fire Lord gets into this massive fight with the X-Men. So all of the, you know, it is planned in several stages to just constantly go in after Xavier, trying to kill Xavier, trying to kill Xavier. And we have no idea why until kind of events start to crystallize a little bit, you know, further along with the Phoenix and stuff. Rather weirdly, Eric the Red is an old alias that Cyclops used to use because of his red glasses and stuff. Ah. And um like it was it this was actually mentioned in the store in, in the comics as being weird. Yeah. Why would he it's a weird connection. But it was never resolved. <laughs> um and then at some point Chris Clement would start writing these things called the untold tales of the X-Men mm. which is basically he goes back and tidies up stuff he didn't do at the time. <laughs> um Don't in between, do it's like that. it's like things that happen in between issues and it and in, in one of those it it has this thing where Cyclops basically goes he must have been watching the X-Men spying on us for ages and just overheard it. So not only was it like a weird plot thread it was a weird plot thread that never went anywhere. Um, it just it was resolved in a he overheard it once. Oh, great! Why did it? Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> it, it 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 would seem that the the because there's this connection to like this is going to sound weird because there's this connection to to Ireland and Britain mm. with this story. It would kind of seem that there was an attempt to the, with the name being used that. It was this idea of, oh, there's a misdirect. We're going to think it's some kind of, like, Viking or or wild Scotsman or wild Irishman, yeah. right? And then it was going to be, no, it's a big dude in red armor from space. <laughs> um, like, like it, was, it, was, it was to cloak his kind of interstellar background for as long as possible, I guess. Also, he used to live in a volcano. We haven't got time for that. Let's move on. Don't end on that. Jeez. <laughs> anyway, back to the story. Suddenly, guards enter the room, but Cyclops gains consciousness and takes them out. Jean spots that the staff have had mind control implants attached to them. They need to act fast to save Dr. Corbeau. In the control room, Eric the Red explains to a uh, bound Dr. Corbeau that the vortex the space station crew are studying is a wormhole and that the Shi'ar are capable of using it as a passageway. The Red Figure's mission is to intercept an enemy of his emperor, the rebel Lilandra. Eric has mounted an energy weapon to the space station to take out her star cruiser. Before Eric can continue further, the X-Men enter... <laughs> what? Sorry. It's just that when you hear that name without the Red in it, it's ridiculous. Before Eric can continue with his space battle... His mum calls him down for tea. Eric. Yeah. Crack on, Eric. Crack on, Eric. Before Eric can continue further, the X-Men enter... <laughs> Stop. 
<laughs> I, no, you, you're ruining it's it. It's Banana Man's name. Is it? <laughs> Eric. Yeah. Eric. Young Eric. He eats a banana, becomes Banana Man. If you would like to see Marvel versus Banana Man, or indeed any character from the Beano comics or Dandy comics, whichever one he was from, please write uh, in. Not, not from any of them. He was just Banana Man. I swear he was with Dandy for a while. Don't think so, no. Mm-mm. Never mind. That, that, no. Anyway. <laughs> just then, a spaceship comes through the vortex, but the X-Men are, are able to disable the energy weapon. However, the space station starts to break up. The X-Men head back to the shuttle, saving the crew along the way before escaping. Eric the Red escapes on a separate ship before the space station's reactor overloads. Um, Now, we are agreed that the Starcore is a, uh, at least uh, some country on Earth, it's a human space station, isn't it? I think it's Eagle One. Eagle One. (laughs) I think... Or maybe, or is Eagle One the shuttle? I don't know anymore. Anyway, the, the space station... I just look at that exploding through a random fight, and I'm just thinking about how much it costs. Yeah, and that's in it's the not trillions. good because it's not it's not Eric the Red Station, is it? It the, he's snuck aboard and and mind controlled all the staff, so it's a, it's like an Earth thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, when when it comes to uh, from my experience in Kerbal Space Program, when you build up one of those things, especially something that big, you're doing it several launches at a time, so it fits together. You can't launch it as one big thing. Yeah. In the comic books, it's the space station, I think, that belongs to uh, s- to Stephen Lang, who is just a, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's not, well, he hates mutants, so he's, he's a, he's a Nazi, basically, he's, he builds genocide weapons, so I don't care that it blows up. Yeah, if, Good. if, if it's, it, I, I was about to say, if it's private money, then I'm okay. Like, yeah, no like, one cares like, about it's like, as long a as business. As long as it's not taxpayer money, I'm fine. Look at me, little socialist. Anyway. But the, the business will make it the taxpayer's problem eventually. Ooh. They'll have to find a way of writing off their... T- you know, they won't pay sufficient tax over the next five years to cover the cost of their loss. So we'll still get screwed one way or another because big business is always the enemy. Sorry, kids. Fight the power, people. Fight the power. Back to the X-Men. Back to the X-Men. <laughs> Bet to the X-Men, they've, they, they have absolutely no socialist or dissident views in their creation whatsoever. <laughs> good old capitalist X-Men. Government is good. Big government, yay. Government control, even better. With their death camps and their genocide robots. <laughs> so, obviously, it's a very uh, quick visit to a space station. They arrived, they got knocked out and then left. I take it it's in like, and out. They <laughs> in and out, in and out, without anyone noticing, like the SAS. Uh, is that a, is this like the comic books, or do they at least spend a bit of time marvelling at the contraptions? Everything just moves at a different pace in the yeah, comics. Yeah, um, it's like your notes said that, that, that you know they that it's it's you know and again it's almost like they can't grasp it. Like this is this is less than twenty minutes, isn't it? Yeah, because. Uh, you've got the whole the, the, the setup at the st- well, no, well, uh, make it. Let's just call it a cold 20, 20 minutes. Yeah. It's so. By the time they get to the space station, you're halfway through the episode. Yeah, yeah. It's- or you're right at the end, anyway, nearly. Um, yeah, in the comic books, they, they get kidnapped by Sentinels, they get attacked by Sentinels, and then the next episode, they get taken to space, and then the next episode, they've got to find a way to get there, and then the next episode, they break in, fight the Sentinels, and then get attacked by the X Men, the robot X Men. In the next episode, they're fighting the robot X-Men in the space station. Mm. And then the next episode, it's all falling apart and getting destroyed and they've got to leave. So you, you've got like, you know, it's it's kind of, the whole thing is, is it, the whole going to space and coming back from space, it's probably two months of stories. It's probably about 
you know, six, seven, eight books. I like that about time and space. But that'd be pretty weird when they get down to Earth and they're all fatigued. Well, no, it wouldn't be... It would be... It would be a very quick visit. Okay, but in comic books, yeah, 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 yeah. In comic books, you you know, it, it, it's it's it'll take place over two months, but it would be. It just happened. We've got to go get them. We've got to sneak onto the rocket ship. We get up there. We fight some robots. We fight some more robots that look like how we used to look, or the person whose job I just took. And then we kill them. We don't kill them because they're not real. We destroy them. But I mean, what, who who decides what's alive? Maybe robots are alive. Maybe I'm a cybernetic murderer. Ah, existential crisis. And then the place starts to fall apart. And then, and then yeah, you come it back always happens quickly. at that point. When the plot twist happens, you got to get out of there. The base is going to blow up. <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway, from the shuttle, the X-Men see the Rebel Star Cruiser heading to Earth. Due to the shuttle's damaged controls, their flight path is going to take them straight into the radioactive contrail of the Shi'ar shuttle and the radiation will kill them. B suggests using the solar probe, which has radiation shielding, but the autopilot is out of action, and Dr. Corbeau would need to stay behind and pilot the probe for re-entry. Beast points out that Dr. Corbeau won't survive with a radiation level that high. However, Jean Grey volunteers to take Dr. Corbeau's place, saying she can use her powers to absorb the Doctor's knowledge of flying the ship, and hopefully shield herself, shield herself against the radiation. Cyclops protests, insisting that he will fly the ship even if it kills him. To stop Scott from sacrificing himself, Jean uses her psychic powers to knock him out and take his place. An emotional Wolverine wishes her good luck. Ooh. So, I take it this is what happens in the comics? This is what uh, kicks off her transformation? It's very, very, uh, it's very, it's, it's very, very close. It's, it's very, very faithful. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, th- there isn't this weird. There isn't this. So again, it's not. They don't get stuck on a path going through Lalandra's ship's contrail. Mm. It's that this solar flare, this solar eruption that um, Doctor Corbo has been talking about and warning about is happening. Um, that's why they've got to get off the station. It's going to be tremendously dangerous. Um, and there isn't this thing of, oh, we're in the shuttle, but we need to get into a smaller bit of a shuttle, like the probe bit, which yeah. is, it's just, they're on this shuttle, but it's just the, 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 the radiation shielding, um, is, is damaged. Um, there is, it has a single room that will shield the passengers, yeah. but someone's got to, someone's got to drive the, drive the ship. Um, and I mean, with the, the these Chris Clement and and Dave Cockrum, would they really create something very very special with the end of this is issue one hundred I think or is it or is it the one hundred or it's ninety nine? Um, it's probably yeah, it's probably ninety nine. Then they it's so it's so emotional. Yeah. It's so emotional. The artwork is uh, uh, depicting the pain on people's faces is incredible. So it all takes place pretty much as it does here. Gene knocks Scott out because he's refusing to let it happen. And Scott wakes up in this locked room. And he knows what's happening. And, And he is just manic with fear and panic and anger. And he lunges for the door. And if he opens that door, he kills all of them. 
And so the other X-Men have to restrain him. And Scott is screaming at them. He's he's begging them, please, I'm begging you, let me help her. And honestly, the way Dave Cochran draws the pain on his face is so raw. It's so not what you would used to seeing in a superhero comic at this time. I, you know, I, I'm the look- square-jawed heroes and stuff. I'm looking forward to, I don't know how long down the line we can actually start reading these. Incredible. And, yeah. and, and, and Nightcrawler and Colossus are holding Scott down and back, and they are crying as they hold him back. I take it- And they're saying how sorry they are. I take it they do this in the Phoenix film. I've no idea. You didn't watch it, did you? No. No, I haven't <laughs> seen it. It, it. It's so powerful. The pain on mm. everyone's face is 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 incredible. Um, and I know they can't quite do that here in a cartoon, you know. Um, they could do it in the movie, but I don't know if they have or not. Um, and, and the final scenes of Jean piloting the ship on her own are a lot more intense than the cartoon. They're not exactly graphic, um... Because of the but the way it's, it, I think there's a really amazing way that it's drawn and coloured. So she can't uh, hold on any longer. And there's this, the final panel is is um, blurry. It's a blurry, fiery panel, and you can make out a shape because of how the colouring is done. It's like there's a different coloured shape in the fire, mm. and it's not necessarily fire because it's meant to be radiation, but. As she screams out Scott's name in, like, her last moments of life, it gives you this impression that she is essentially burning to death here. Although it's not meant to be fire, it's radiation. Radiation, yeah. And the way they colour it and stuff. Um, The key... And, you know, the X-Men cartoon kind of has has an aspect of this as well. The key to all of this is that in the new X-Men's very first outing as a comic book team... Clement and Cockrum kill off one of the X-Men immediately. Thunderbird, the Native American powerhouse, they kill him off as a way of saying to the reader, this job is dangerous, being an X-Men is dangerous, it's deadly, this can happen to any of the team at any time. These stories are full of threat and jeopardy. So... And that was not... I know that comic books now have this reputation of characters die all the time and they come back to life, you know, a couple of months later. 1975, that's not the case, bro. So, the death of Thunderbird, really early on, is an impactful thing. And it does kind of... And especially the fact that, again, like Clement said... He's writing this not knowing if they're going to, not thinking they're not going to be there in two months, in two years' time. Like, he's like, we've we got a year if we're lucky, because no one buys the X Men. So, none of these characters are guaranteed to be, they're not the icons we think of them mm. at all. They, it's not the case of, oh, yeah, but they'd never kill Jean Grey. Jean Grey has made them no money. No one cares about the, like, like very few people care about the character. It's it, Wolverine was about to be killed off. You know, Ooh, no one cared yeah. about Wolverine. These characters are not are not sacred cows. They can't kill off the Avengers at nineteen seventy five. Sure, yeah, you could you could do you could say they're not going to kill off Iron Man or, or or Hulk or Thor or Captain America. X Men is different. Like these are not characters that that Marvel have got a lot of money invested in. They're not characters that make them a lot of money. 
they can die pretty much at, at, at any kind of time. So I think that's kind of key in how it stirred up emotions at the time. And the X-Men cartoon series, you know, like their very first issue that we, the very first episode that we talked about in um in our, when we when we took our first look at Night of the Sentinels 1 and 2, they kill off Morph straight away. Yeah. To pretty much do the same thing to introduce the idea that there is death in this world we have created. There are consequences in this world we have created. There is danger and jeopardy in this world. And characters are not necessarily safe. I do love that. I do love it when a when a long-standing series does have the guts to do that. Not, I mean, nowadays you look at like The Walking Dead and Game of Thrones where characters die at the drop yeah. of a hat. And after a while it just loses. It's the other end of it. it loses, there's so much death that it loses impact most of the time. Yeah. It's hard to get that balance, isn't it? Of you, you, there has to be a connection. And like you said, if it happens too much, then um, it it, it perhaps dulls the audience and it kind of dulls their their reaction to it. Yeah. That's that's how I found it for myself anyway. So, last bit of the first episode as Jean pilots the ship through the radiation, she tries to use her telekinesis to shield herself. Doesn't, but it doesn't appear to be enough. Jean screams in pain as the shuttle burns and the image of a flaming bird appears in space. Now, again, I'm going to talk about Kerbal Space Program. The second one's coming. That's what we're here for. Kerbal Space Program <laughs> 2 comes out next year, and the first one's been available for nearly 10 years now. It's a great game. Uh, re-entry is incredibly hard. It's it's keeping the craft at a certain point, you know, like aiming it into the sky because the flat end's got to, you know, touch down rather, you know, to slow down in the atmosphere. So I can say, even though this was a cartoon, I I, I, I did have a lot of empathy going on here. Is this re-entry? I, isn't this just going through the com trail? Oh, it was going through the com trail, wasn't it? Oh. Yeah. It does... Mm, she does actually go into the atmosphere, though, so I just assumed that she was also re-entering. Yeah, there's obviously got to be a, a problem with that, isn't there? Um, mm. Anyway, I want to mention that it's an incredibly hard bit of uh, space travel's re-entry. Earth's atmosphere is crazy. Yeah, but she's got Dr. Corbeau's uh, knowledge of how to fly a spaceship, so she's fine. Yeah, she'll be fine. It's just not easy anyway. Anyway, that's the end of the first episode. How do we um, how do we feel about about that that the kickoff to the Phoenix uh, to the Phoenix saga? It does feel like a prologue. It just feels like mm. a, I know stuff's happening, but it's like it's it's more like someone's just pulled all the pieces out of a box and are just still setting them up. And I'm still like going, okay, okay, what's all this about? What's all this about? What's all this about? There's a lot of intrigue. It 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 would have benefited if we'd had the first because this is not the first episode of the season. There's there's two nope. episodes before this. We would have benefited if I think there had been in the two episodes. There had been Professor X getting these nightmares and visions. Yeah. Because that's what happens in the comics. We get this nice, because of the, the pacing, you've got this time, the space to let stories breathe and play out. Um, so you can have um, you can have this kind of nightmare vision thing happening to build up the idea of, oh, what's going to happen? Um, but it, it was just, it's it feels... It's a smash and grab. Space station, uh, space station, alien, mind control, inner ship gone out. But I will, I will express how, and I have this for for everything of this of this of this saga. 
how close it is to the comics is so impressive. So they got it. They got it just about right then. Well, again, they have to do this condensing, like your yeah. note, like you said in your notes at the start of the show. It's so but condensed. Even with that done, they 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 keep so many cool elements. Yeah, I mean, I I watched all five in a row, all five episodes, and it was like a lot. It was so much to take in. Yeah, which of course is not how they're meant to be consumed. I know. To remember, it's like binging. same with all the deaths in The Walking Dead. Mm. Um, binging can give you this full sense of. This keeps happening um, when you have seven days between episodes and yeah, a year yeah. between seasons. Things we experience them differently. Um, coming up, part two: the Dark Shroud. Part one of our Phoenix Saga from the animated cartoon series. Animated cartoon, both those words. Uh, (laughs) It continues with part two of the Phoenix Saga, The Dark Shroud will hit play. Hit play. On the shuttle, Jean Grey is trying to keep it together as it struggles in Earth's outer atmosphere. Bombarded with radiation and with her telekinetic shield failing, Jean is thrown to the floor and calls out for help. As she succumbs to her fatigue, a fiery entity seems to enter her body. Glowing with a red energy, Jean suddenly gets up and corrects the course of the shuttle to re-enter the atmosphere. The shuttle almost crashes into the Empire State Building and crashes down into the Hudson River. The X-Men escape the solar probe and swim to the surface, but Jean is nowhere to be seen, despite Scott's desperate attempts to find her. Jean then emerges from the water below and soars into the sky. Crackling with fiery energy and wearing a new green and gold costume, Jean declares that she is Phoenix, but as soon as she announces her arrival, she passes out and she is taken into care. Dramatic entrance for that character. Oh yeah, huge. Huge. I take it this is how Phoenix first appears in the comics. It's very similar. Um, we we don't get the... In the cartoon, there's this very clear thing of, like, um, an energy thing goes inside Jean and she glows in a very cartoony way of, I am now being possessed. <laughs> and then she does a thing, right? You mm. don't get any of that in the comics. In the comic books, it is really not clear what has happened to Jean and it's never really made clear what what happens to her. Okay. Um there is a lot of talk of so what, what everything a lot a lot of the rest is very similar. The the crash is actually a lot more explosive and visceral. Mm. It doesn't look like any of them are going to survive. They they it's 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 a it looks like a really bad they crash land on ground first Ooh. and then carry on into the water it's jamaica bay um and it's yeah and then she rises and um she, her exact words are no longer am i the woman you knew mm. i am fire and life incarnate now and forever, I am Phoenix. It's this clear indication that Jean has changed. Yeah. But there, 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 there is no definitive explanation, and it is alluded to several times that Jean Grey died mm, on the shuttle. Okay. Jean Grey died. And there is this other force that we start to learn about that bonded with her, but that this thing now 
is not this this is a brand new like almost entity but then that's not that is not a hundred percent of the time there it's a there is an awful an awful lot as we'll get to and see of it being gene but with this huge amount of cosmic power and knowledge and memories and stuff you know outside of it it's 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 yeah it's just not clearly defined in the comics it's quite a quite a clear cartoon definition a thing possessed her she you know crashed a thing and then the things kind of comes and goes i like that i i this is what i love about these kind of stories where it's like oh we don't really know something mysterious happened and that's it nothing else is really explored and i like that i i forget what it was we were talking about but there is there are so many examples i think in comics of um ah, a character has a cool, mysterious background, and you're like, wow, that makes him cool. And then it's like, and then over the next 15 years, we told every single story about his cool and mysterious background. We plumbed every corner. You now know everything about the character, and they are no longer cool and mysterious. (laughs) Um, See, Yeah, yeah, I like things open-ended. The example I always use, and I've used it on this podcast before, is the engineer aliens from the film Alien. As soon as they did oh, Pro- sure. Prometheus and the like, it was like, don't do that. They were so mysterious. They were genuinely... You'd, oh, it was, I love that mystery to it, and then they ruined it. I think, I think to a certain extent, Doctor Who as well. I mean, I think the Doctor, um, whenever they would allude to... I think it was strongest when they alluded to aspects of, you know, the Sylvester McCoy years and then uh, the... The, the the with New Who and Russell T, they alluded to things, but they never dialed into it. And then I think lesser writers go, "Now nah, we're going to do an episode about what happened, no. <laughs> and we're going to tell you." No, don't do that. Anyway, back to the story. Jean later wakes up in hospital with Scott by her side. She has no memory of what happened, but she says she feels uh, like she is someone else. Worryingly, Jean then says. I feel like I could reach out and touch the moon and crack it in my hand. That is so disturbing to hear. That is... Like, it's so specific. <laughs> that sounds like a line from, like, a Final Fantasy game. When he's go, It's like... It, it, all I can think of is Final Fantasy VII, where it flashes back to when he knew the bad guy before he turned bad, before the madness took him. And that would be, like, something he'd say. There's a joke in Community where... Um, one of the characters says, if you're not careful, I'll like bounce your face off a jukebox or something. Yeah. And the other character says, that that threat is way too specific to have been yeah. improv <laughs> That's a thing they did. <laughs> and uh, yeah. that's what this felt like. It was so dramatic and yeah. operatic and Shakespearean. And, yeah. um, was, mm. was that line in the comics? I, oh, I, don't, rec- I, I don't recall that line. Uh, it, 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 it might be um, well, bravo to the person who wrote it it's great uh, I'll continue with the story Professor Xavier deduces that a transformation has occurred the extraterrestrial activities in space have been covered up by world governments according to Beast Cyclops lashes out at Charles accusing him of endangering Gene through yes. his lack of clarity love yep. to see it Scott there we go get the old man get the old man Get the old man. And the professor fires back that a good leader would have been prepared for anything. Beast calms them down before heading off to examine the mind control implants recovered from the space station. So in the original Phoenix story, is there there is there must be tension like this between Scott and Xavier. 
yeah ma- ma- massively Good. it's not exactly like this um uh xavier like in in this period of time right before the x but right before um the the the, the phoenix stuff mm. or around the same yeah around this era xavier's been away yeah and when he comes back it's like this new team of X-Men have been doing things on their own. And Xavier comes back and starts treating the new team the same way that he... Like, like they're children and his students. Like, Wolverine and Banshee are middle-aged men. <laughs> they they have both been soldiers and secret agents. Like And, and even Storm and Colossus and Nightcrawler... They're not teenagers. They're not very different from students that need teaching, particularly. Yeah. Cyclops is the leader, and he's turned them into this like fighting unit, and he knows how to play to their strengths and weaknesses, and he knows how to motivate them. Um, so there's this big battle, really, of wills between. Um, it's it's so clearly written as Charles is just massively outdated, and he doesn't know how to do this with adults at all he doesn't know how to like lead and motivate he knows how to treat people like he knows how to all he knows how to do is treat people like children and to try and get the best out of them that way and scott is torn between this thing of like oh this guy is the closest thing i've ever had to a father and like i'm respectful of him and he his thought bubbles are basically like you stupid old man why are you telling Wolverine to do this, this, and this? He's not going to do it. That's not how you speak to someone like Wolverine. But then his speech bubble is like, Professor, are we sure that's the best approach? <laughs> um, he's like really torn between his respect for his mentor and his like his father figure and and like the guy is just messing it all up. It this though is a really emotional time. Yeah. Um, it, 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 it's a it's a really emotional time. Yeah. Um when the doctor announces that Gene is going to live, Scott collapses in a dark room and just sobs Ooh. with relief. Ooh. And the rest of the team basically like pretends they can't hear him because they don't want to embarrass him. Yeah. But they can hear him crying. Oh. You know, Xavier then tries to send Scott on a mission. Because he's like, oh, Jean's okay now. The yeah. doctor just said Jean's okay. So, Scott, I need you to do a mission for me. The doctor just said she's okay. I need you to go and do a thing for me. And Scott is just like, no, I'm, it's not going to happen. I'm not leaving her side. And they have this big fight like like here, but it's more on the line along the lines of Xavier's like, how dare you? I am in charge of you. Don't be so un- ungrateful. Rather than here, it's a disagreement about leadership. It, 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 Charles is again. He's painted in this very outdated old man kind of position. Yeah, it just makes it sound like John Hammond. Everything's going wrong, and it's like, why, old man? He's like, well, well, well. You know, I, I, yeah, yeah. Sounds like John Hammond. Also, it's, it seems weird that they get you know this powerful uh, new character like Phoenix, uh, and then suddenly they go straight to the hospital. Is that something to came with for the cartoon? No, that's like, like I just sort of alluded to. Yeah. It's bang on in the comics. Bang on the comics um, she yeah. immediately immediately collapses. They think she's going to die. Mm. Uh, they are huge relief when the doctor says, "No, she's going to be fine. She just needs a lot of rest." And so it all happens she, immediately it, after each other. It's all yeah, 
Yeah. yeah, and 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 she stays in hospital. Once the doctor announces that, Professor X says to the X Men, "All of you go on holiday to Ireland." <laughs> um, and and Scott stays there, um, and then all the X Men go on holiday to Ireland because That's- Banshee has had a letter from like the estate that manages his family's estate saying, uh, "You need to come quickly. There's a problem with your house." So he's like, oh, big order. <laughs> I have to be going to Ireland now. And all the X-Men go, sounds like a holiday to me. <laughs> this is like a wacky adventure. Yeah, it's it's super weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what, 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 what was... And then, the, and then there are leprechauns. <laughs> We're doing... Part two. It's coming in part two. It's coming in the next episode. Part two. Leprechauns. Makes it's about coming. as much sense as some of the stuff we do. <laughs> I was just scrolling up in my notes. What was the exact line? What was the exact line? What a callback this. Anyway, anyway, where were we? Where were we? Anyway, back to the story. Outside in an alley, Logan is taking his anger out on some bins before Beast... As you do. As you do. Before Beast convinces him to find other ways of winding down before they head their separate ways. As Charles enters his personal aircraft... Just, I've just got to step in here. Yeah. Um... That's so vague, it sounds sexual. <laughs> it sounds like an innuendo. What? Uh, other ways of he, winding he convinced- down. Other ways of winding down. What What that? What, what actually happens is he says, why don't you go and have a drink in a pub? I, yes. <laughs> he doesn't, it's not. Why don't you go around to this other alley and crack one out? Or <laughs> crack one out. <laughs> why don't you go and find a, some, is there maybe a rent boy nearby? Let's see what we can, no. He, he says, why don't you go to a bar and have a drink? As I was saying. <laughs> Beast convinces him to find other ways of winding down. It does sound suspicious now you mention it. Anyway, as Charles enters his personal aircraft, a beam of energy hits his mind. The alien being is once again reaching out to him with powerful telepathy. As his vessel crashes to the roof, Charles's consciousness breaks out of his body with an evil glare and a great big cape. Meanwhile, on the subway, Logan sees his lost love, Yuriko, on an empty carriage, only to be attacked by Sabretooth. As he fights his nemesis, the Sabretooth disappears, and then Wolverine is blasted from behind by Deadpool. Deadpool then transforms into the Professor, who promptly blasts Wolverine onto the tracks. The Professor starts verbally abusing Logan, telling him how he's sick of his arrogance. Before he lunges at him, Logan hears a scream nearby. Jubilee is tied to the subway tracks, but he is blasted by a glue gun the Professor is holding, rooting him in place. Just then, a subway train approaches. Wolverine breaks free and rescues Jubilee, but as soon as he does, she disappears in his arms. Uh, Fun fact here, uh, when um, Beast convinces Wolverine of finding other ways to wind down, uh, (laughs) he is wearing a Howard the Duck t-shirt. Yeah. I love that. I love that little reference. And I think this is the first on-screen appearance of Deadpool anywhere. Yeah, first on-screen appearance of Deadpool. And and he's not saying anything, which is the only way you could get away with that. Why? Because he's rude. He's a rude little boy. (laughs) Oh, right. Yeah, I guess so. He's got a toilet mouth. But not in the comic. I mean, the comic books. He appears in comic books and doesn't swear for many, many years. We've already handled uh, that. If you want to go to our Deadpool episode, you explain the change that happened with Deadpool. There's a small moment where here where Beast tries to get a taxi. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. But the driver doesn't want to pick him up because of how he looks. 
And I know yeah. this is nothing major, right? But it, I thought it was good reinforcement that the X-Men are there to stand in and represent anyone who is other in, in, in life. Mm. Um, and I know that having a hard time catching a cab was a very common problem for black and Hispanic people in American cities and stuff. That's always talked about yeah, loads in the 80s yeah. and 90s. I can't I can't count how many, you know, bits of stand-up comedy and jokes in sitcoms and movies and stuff were based around, like, taxis in the, I guess the, I guess the 70s, 80s, and 90s, like, not stopping to pick up black people and Hispanic people. So it wasn't major, and it's played for laughs, um, but I just thought it was a neat little... A neat little other touch, which is important for the X Men. No, it's a good, it's a good little spot. I mean, I, I, I saw it. And went, oh, it's just, yeah. Oh, I forgot. I'm big and furry and blue, but I didn't think. Yeah, I didn't you know, think it, of the it, subtext. Is, it is definitely, yeah. it is definitely played that way. I just think when it comes, because it, it, it may well have just been written as a gag, but when it comes to the X Men, you, you can, I think, you can look out for those those moments where it can be, it can represent something, um, something more outspoken yeah i like that okay back to the story as wolverine emerges onto the streets and sees the real jubilee waiting in line to see a show with gambit just then the professor appears and blasts them with energy the mutants try to fight the superior but he fades out and appears above the street proclaiming he created the x-men and can destroy them without a moment to lose they call in storm Meanwhile, the real professor is struggling to gain consciousness in his craft. As the fight comes to an end, the mutants are surrounded by the NYPD, who can't see the professor. Before they can apprehend, Storm comes in at the last minute and fogs the streets, allowing them to escape. So, uh, it's Fog's top uh, Storm's top trick here, fog. Fog. Uh it's the second outing of fog we've seen in as many episodes. And she always does that dramatic little thing. She does. She's so dramatic. She's so dramatic. Fog, I call upon thee to hide my friends from their eyes. It's like, yes. <laughs> it's brilliant. Just, 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 just do the Skyrim thing of shouts. Do dragon shouts like, I think there's kind of a reason for that. Mm. And it's part of some cool trivia notes about the production of the series, which we'll have uh, in the next episode. Oh, now this. I'm really intrigued. Oh, there's a lot. Is it is is it there? You're not just pulling the chain. You actually nope. got, got, you're going to explain to me in the next episode. You hear that, people at home? You guys, why you got to listen in the next episode? You're going to say to me. You're going to say to me next episode. They explain why they have to have uh, Storm talking like Laurence Olivier. Yeah. Okay. Great. Um, that would be wonderful. Uh, of more important things. Has Professor X ever fought the X Men like this? Yeah. Ah. Um. We we'll get to the we'll get to the main comparison shortly. Um, but yes, there's a, there's a, there's a, 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 a an aspect of the professor called the entity, ah, which is like his dark side. It has fought the X Men. Ah. Um, there are the the Xavier protocols, mm. which are a set of like doomsday plans created by Charles Xavier to defeat. All the X Men should he need to, <laughs> or all the all the powerful mutants. Not just the X Men, but all the most powerful mutants on Earth. If they became a threat, or if he wanted to, the Xavier Protocols were there, and it was exactly how he could use his powers to destroy them. Yep. Um, and they were stored where else but um, uh, Muir Island um, with Moira McTaggart. Moira McTaggart. 
Um, and uh, the and of course, um, our patrons will know there is a big two-hour meaty episode called Onslaught. There it is again, people. Onslaught, which which touches. I don't want to give too much away, but touches on what might happen with Professor X ever lost his cool. Yeah. Um, so head to patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel for a bit of that action. Excellent. Back to the story. Back at the hospital, the professor enters Jean's room and blasts Scott. Scott tries to fight back, but his blasts go through the professor. Jean wakes up and uses her new powers to destroy the professor, who turns out to be a psychic projection from the professor's mind. Xavier's powers are out of control. On the roof, the team rescues the professor from his vessel while he explains that he felt a psychic probe of enormous power, the same one that warns him about the space station. As the professor explains that the probe overwhelmed all his safeguards on his mind, including his dark side that became free, Eric the Red spies on them from Earth's orbit. He realises that Xavier is the key. So, Evil Xavier, is that a part of the uh, original Phoenix Saga? Yeah, it is. Mm. Um, issue issue one hundred and six, uh, which is kind of part of the build up to the to the Phoenix Saga. Um, so, well, sorry. In the build up to the Phoenix Saga, Xavier is being tormented by by nightmares and 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 and, and visions. Oh no, it's no, it's right in the middle of the Phoenix Saga. What am I talking about? Mm. It's right in the middle. It, during the build-up, he's played by these by these visions, right? Yeah. Issue one hundred and six, it does. We do get this this emergence of of this astral projection of his dark side. The visions and the nightmares are exhausting him, and then he has to battle freaking Fire Lord, <laughs> Herald of Galactus, cosmic. You know, like one of the most powerful cosmic entities going, um, and he's he's really kind of like tweaked by it all. And then the X Men in issue one hundred and six. Get attacked by the original X Men again. Ugh. This was seemed to be like a big thing that people wanted to see, or it seemed to be something they loved to put on the cover because it's it's like a handful of issues after they did it with the robot Sentinel dudes. Um, but yeah, the 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 original X Men attack for a bit, and then they kind of get. And there's an original that Professor X is with them, and he's attacking, and then the real Professor X shows up and gets rid of them, and. Uh, the real Xavier kind of explains this is like his dark side. His the uh, uh, he calls it the entity that lives within him. Mm. Um, and he 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 says he must always work hard to keep his darker emotions in check, lest he harm those he cares about the most. We talked about this in that bonus episode. Yeah, um, laying the groundwork. Um, a decade later, in the eighties. There's there's this crossover event, this storyline. Well, it's not really a crossover event. It's a storyline called X Men and the Micronauts. Do you remember we talked about the Micronauts, a failed toy line that Marvel had the rights <laughs> to, and it kind of involved yeah. the microverse and all of that. Did, did, is it, was this the argument we had where it was like, what sounds better, quantum quantum, quantum realm or the microverse? The, the, yes. the argument I won in the end by popular vote, only by public vote. But public- we all know. The public vote's not what counts. <laughs> but no, no, sorry, that's how, that makes it sound even better. He won the argument. Popular how? vote. Popular vote. Mm. Popular vote. Mm. Losers. Yeah. Anyway, um, it 
it, Xavier's dark side yeah. would would travel to the the the, the microverse mm. and become an armored conqueror called the Entity, <laughs> and would would battle the the Micronauts, and then the X Men had to be brought over to to kind of help defeat um help defeat this evil side of, of Xavier. So yeah, this again, this is really sticking really true to to the to the comics, good, good. and it the I. Again, in the comic books, <laughs> there is no intention to do the Dark Phoenix saga. There is no, in, there is no plan. Okay, there is no plan to do that. This just happens to be a storyline where powerful Charles Xavier loses control of his powers, and a dark side of him emerges and causes havoc. Right? <laughs> yeah, as, as you would. In the cartoons, they use it as this really great. Teeing up foreshadowing. Yeah, because right at Xavier, the end of it, they say, yeah. Xavier literally talks about how he has, like, mental... Um, I forget what he calls them, but, like, mental control... Short circuit... Circuit breaker circuit, would probably yeah, be the term. Yeah. In place to keep his um, dark side hidden back. They're, they're laying some groundwork. They're foreshadowing things that are going to come down, down the line, which is really cool. Mm. No, I, I love it when they do that. Back to the story. Given that Xavier has been compromised, he hands over control of the X-Men to Cyclops until he returns from Muir Island Research Facility. At the Scottish facility, Charles is greeted by Moira McTaggart and her fiancé, Sean Cassidy. Hearing that Moira is engaged, Charles reacts coldly and immediately heads to his quarters to rest. Xavier's reaction concerns both Moira and Sean, who discuss his state of mind. So what can you tell us about Muir Ireland and Moira McTaggart? Because I remember in one of the films, she isn't uh, a Scottish uh, research scientist. No, of they course not. They changed it to an yeah. FBI agent. I thought that was such... Something a, like that, I, yeah. I was so like, oh, come on. Even I know who she's supposed to be. It's just keep... It, at certain points, you change so much about a character, all you're doing is keeping the name. Yeah, just make a, just make a new character. Uh, Moira is one of the leading authorities on genetic mutation. Mm. She wins a Nobel Prize for it, um, and she like has the longest running, uh, the long. She, she's the human with the longest running association with the X Men mm. and with with Charles Xavier. Now, super most recent comic book fans, don't come at me for that. I'm not talking about what what you're going to come at me for. We'll we'll have to deal with modern day Moira some other time. There is not, I could not fit it into this episode at all. But for the time being, she is the human with the longest running association with the X Men. Um, she was once uh, Xavier and Moira were, were were colleagues. They did all this work in genetic mutation together. They were in love and they were engaged and. They studied Oxford together and all this kind of stuff, and some things went very lo- wrong. Charles joined the army for a bit. Um, Moira had this awful, horrible, abusive relationship with with an ex, the, mm. the, the McTaggart part of the name, um, and that went terribly while Charles while Charles was away, and 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 they were separate. You know, they didn't see each other for a long period of time, and she had a child, and then Charles and her kind of reconnected, and. She's basically the silent partner of the X Men, right? right? Yeah. So she 
she creates this mute the, the first ever the world's first mutant research center and it's a safe space and a haven on, on muir island um off the coast of scotland um and charles is heavily involved in helping her with that the facility is mainly used to house a single dangerous powerful mute called mute subject called mutant x Ooh. name is as unknown it's there to is a danger to it to itself and to others and the 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 main reason for the muir island facility is to safely house this mutant right right um but she's also there to try to understand genetic mutant genetics see if there's a way of curing very dangerous mutants but she she is the co-creator of cerebro with with charles okay and she's like the silent partner in the school for gift youngsters and the x-men and everything but they they don't know not when she's introduced they know nothing about her um she would later on become like the the um the x-men's basically housekeeper and guardian of the mansion oh um that's an upgrade she, well yeah, yeah it seems like it isn't it's a weird way of introducing her but it basically seems yeah. like charles said i don't want to tell anyone who you really are but i need you to watch over them while i'm away and please do it for me mm. so housekeeper seemed to be like a secret mission she was yeah, on yeah yeah and during this time, she she um, forms this very strong, powerful, on-again-off-again relationship with Banshee. Ooh. Um, uh, she's had huge involvement with mutants and the X-Men for many, many, many years. Okay, okay. So at the final stretch of the episode now. Later that night in his room, Charles tries to sense the being that probed him, knowing that they're out there somewhere. Suddenly... He's hit by an intense psychic force where he sees the figure again, who suddenly appears in his room. The figure removes their insect-like helmet and introduces himself as Lilandra. She comes from the world Shi'ar, which is ruled by her brother, Diken. Can I just stop you there? Oh no, what? One of the glorious... They, they keep this from the comic books, and I don't know what... It seemed to be more pronounced in the cartoon... But in all the all the visions that you have building up through the comic books and in the cartoon, it's of this like bug eyed silver alien. You think it's like an insect person, yeah. And then there's this great reveal they do it in the comics and they do it in the cartoon. Right when Charles meets her for the first time, and you think, God, this almost looks threatening. It kind of looks a bit disgusting. And then, bang! Off comes the insect helmet, certifiable space hottie, <laughs> like. Winged eyeliner, incredible makeup. And she, when she's not wearing the the spacesuit, she's got these like thigh high like stocking outfit on, like a little swimsuity costume. And she's just like Lilandra, space hottie. That's who's been in your brain all these time, all this time. Not a bug eyed monstrous alien dude. Oh, um, I always made that always tickled me as a kid, and uh, I just watching it back again and reading it again. I was just like, yeah, that that's a really intentional kind of. Like, they lead you down the garden path of, oh, it's going to be some sort of bug creature that needs his help. And yeah, then it's like, yeah. oh, no, Charles, you might be on a promise here, son. <laughs> you might be on a promise. <laughs> what an old phrase. I like that phrase, though. Yeah. So, Lelandra, uh, Emperor Deken... Uh, where, where have I got? Where have I got? She comes from the world Shia, which is ruled by her brother Deken. Um she, she served. I think, she served. Lander served Royal Emperor Deken loyally until she learned he sought to control the greatest power in the universe, 
the M-Cran crystal and use it as a weapon. If the crystal is breached, both of their galaxies will be at risk. To keep it safe, Lelandra stole the crystal and escaped on a star cruiser and escaped to our galaxy through a vortex. She asked for Charles's help. The Shi'ar believe that two minds can be linked from birth in a deep bond. When she was in trouble, her soul called out to the only other person in the galaxy she was connected to. Lilandra and Xavier are then interrupted by the wall exploding as Juggernaut bursts in and grabs Lilandra. First of all, um, bloody hell, those Scottish accents. Ooh, hi. Scottish and Irish, they're both horrible. Yeah, I the thing is they were so that you know you know when people do Scottish accents and switch over to Irish and it's like there's barely any change. <laughs> they're really I mean yeah, they're both bad. Banshee's Irish accent is is a crime. Yeah, I it, I had that down as Scottish. It's the new troubles. Um it's the new awful. troubles. <laughs> Bloody <laughs> uh I'd kick off all over again if it were me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and the Scottish, the Scottish one is really terrible. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I know it's a cartoon. I know it's a well Canadian, pretty much, you know. But at the same time, I'm just like, ah, oh, come on, just watch a video of a normal Scottish person for once. Get the accent well, you, right. You in your in your production notes, it was they want to keep the number of voice actors to a minimum. That, no, so yeah. presumably they had somebody already on cast and said. You're going to play Banshee, do an Irish accent, yeah, I, oh, I would imagine. I haven't checked into that, but that's how these yeah, things tend to work. that sounds like how it works. I, I, I would have uh, instigated beating them until they got it right. But I'm a perfectionist. <laughs> a violent perfectionist. <laughs> exactly. We're all perfectionists are violent at some point. Uh, does any of this happen in the comic books, by the way? Like Lelandra and an Evil Empire and the M-Cran Crystal, I take it that's all there. Y- uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Lalandra, Deken, he turns out to be a man. Yeah, all, all of all of this. Um, well, you know, she she. Although they kind of downplay her, Lalandra is Grand M- Admiral of the Imperial Guard and the Shi'ar fleet. Mm. She's not nobody. She's not like the Emperor's sister. She is the Grand <laughs> Admiral of the fleet. She is in charge of. This is like. This is like when a, a Roman general turns on the emperor. Ah, yeah, so it's a big thing. It, it, in the cartoon, it's like, oh, the the damsel, the sister of the emperor, Sora. No, this is like, this is like the the the, the 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 top general of the armies saying, no, you're wrong, and turning on the emperor in like some kind of ro- Roman time. Um, that's the the that's how it's built up in the comics. That's kind of how it's presented. Mm. Um, that that she has, as we see later on, a huge amount of loyalist support uh-huh. um, in, in the ranks. And so there is actually now a crack in the Empire. Um, as we go through this, the important thing to remember, or the, the, the helpful thing to remember, is the Shi'ar, despite the fact they're alien bird people, are pretty much based on the Roman Empire. That's where a lot of the inf- influence comes from. We get the Imperial Guard, we get the Praetorians, mm. and we get we get emperors, and we get you know a, a council and stuff like that. Um, and we get powerful families and houses and stuff. Um, so yeah, she 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 does all that. The another big distinction is uh, Lalandra does not steal the M Cran crystal <laughs> because the M Cran crystal. 
is huge. It's 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 as big as several buildings. Oh wow! It's 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 absolutely massive. So in 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 the cartoon, we see her. It, she holds it in her hand and she kind of runs away with it. No, it's it's a huge. It's like a, it's like the it's like their version of the Colosseum. You, it, it's actually in the middle of a giant coliseum. People gather to 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 worship at the at the at the crystal, which is inside some sort of ancient ruined coliseum type structure on a on a dead world. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and it's absolutely massive. Um, but it's still as as so much of, of this has been so far. It is so so close to the comic books. It's unreal. So there we have it. The first part of the Phoenix Saga, uh, from our perspective, we, we, we've had, we've delved into so, so much of this to set the scene, and then we've had the first two episodes, part one and two of the first Phoenix Saga from the X-Men animated series. Will, we, we talked about the first episode. Thoughts on the second episode and thoughts on, on how it's all coming together so far? Well, yeah, it, d- it does feel it's coming a lot together because like the first episode, it was like, ah, vague stuff happening. There's a space station and now it's like, ah, cosmic yeah. stuff and potential evil Charles. So it's a lot more the scope. The scope, the scope getting... starts to expand, doesn't it? Exactly. The scope starts so, to expand. That's what's good about it. Um, and there's so much more to come. Uh, there's so much more in episodes uh, three, four, and five, which will be part of our uh, our next part two, our next episode um, on the the Phoenix Saga. We are. I know we've done so much in this. There's so much more to do. That's why we are digging deep and diving deep with this. Um, as for a reading list. Um, It'll be the same for this episode and our next episode. You want to be checking out Epic Collection Volume 6, X-Men Epic Collection Volume 6, Second Genesis. They pack so much into this. It's the start of the new X-Men, um, and it goes right the way through to the birth of, of Phoenix. Um, and uh, you can't get you can't get uh, any better than that. Well, you can, in my mind, actually. Uh, it's, when, it's when John Byrne rocks up and we get the Dark Phoenix Saga, which we will be covering later. Uh, later this year so join us next episode for the phoenix saga part two send us all your thoughts feedback information everything you love about the phoenix everything you remember about this cartoon series send that on through to marvel versus marvel at gmail.com and for all our bonus content and activities the full-length bonus episodes we drop every month, and the mini-episodes as well, head on over to patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel. 